hey, this is Ed Sanchez, the director of Blair Witch Project and a couple of other movies you may have heard of. You're listening to Diminishing Returns. Diminishing Returns, of course, being the show where we discuss a film, or in this case, series of films, then pitch our own ideas for what the sequel ought to be. You've come on a good week, it's our second Halloween special. We're doing all the Blair Witch movies, all three of them. And we're really pushing the boat out, because I've been trawling through the DVD commentaries on on some of the films. I've, I've pulled out some audio clips of those for you that are quite insightful. And as if all that wasn't enough, we've uh, we've got an interview with Ed Sanchez, one of the directors of the, the first film, The Blair Witch Project. We chat about the film's production, what he's been up to since, and uh, he, he drops some interesting news about the possible future of the franchise too. This episode contains spoilers for The Sixth Sense, if you still somehow don't know the end of that film. And of course, The Blair Witch Project, Book of Shadows, Blair Witch 2, and Blair Witch, the 2016 follow-up with a very similar name to the first film. Enjoy! Welcome to the Halloween special of Diminishing Returns, Ooh, with me, Alan, and Sol. Give, give us some Halloween spooky names. Oh yeah, sorry. Um, with me, <laughs> um, Abominable Anal Aneurysm Alan. Alan Resurrection. Oh, oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, is it? And Calvin and the Chipmunks. Mm, okay. Uh, hello. <laughs> now that's scary. Hello, everyone. <laughs> And over there, what, look, what, it's, what about uh, Calvin Die Bart Dyson? Calvin oh, Die soon. Good. Oh, yes. <laughs> and Sol. <laughs> so, today we're doing. Oh, you know that Sol really wanted the name as well. Can I be Stephen King's Sol Harris? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's the sort of branding we need. There you go. Anyway. Halloween, guys. Let's do something scary. Ooh, Blair Witch Project. Okay. We are doing the Blair Witch Project. This has been a long time coming. It has, yeah. We've, we this one's been on our this one's been on our slate for some time, hasn't it? And then Well, it... we wanted to we wanted to do it last year to tie in with the new film, but they only gave us like a month's notice that the new film mm. was actually coming out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think by that point we'd already recorded our episode in advance mm. or something and it just didn't fit and mm. yeah. Yes, so we've been waiting for an opportunity to do it. Here it is, Mm. Halloween again. And and we're looking at all three. The Blair Witch Project, Book of Shadows, and Blair Witch. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't think that's entirely fair, uh, actually. uh, (laughs) No, actually, you know, I'm really looking forward to getting to the third one. Uh, (laughs) But uh, we should probably start at the very Mm. beginning. So, the first Blair Witch film, THE Blair Witch Project... It is going to be forever enshrined a little moment of cinema history, just mm. because of, of what it achieved, like it or hate it. And so uh, let's have a good old discussion about it, eh? You two are a bit young to have uh, experienced it first time round, aren't you? Probably. Uh, I don't know. We would have been about nine, ten years old when it first came out. I'd have shot myself if I'd watched that when I was nine. <laughs> Sol, how did you? Because we would have been about ten years, nine years old when this uh, first film came out. Yeah. When did you see it for the first time? Were you aware of it when it came out? I... 
Well, I was I was aware of it, and you couldn't pick up a a, a, a camcorder without sort of doing a oh Blair Witch ah and running around with it for a few years. <laughs> I I first saw it on TV one night. And I think quite a few people at school watched it that night, actually. And oh, do you remember how old you were? Probably about 15, 15, 14, 15, okay. 16. That's not, that's not too bad. He could take it if you Yeah, 15, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like. I thought well, you were going to say you were like 11 or something. I was, I was 20, 21, and I could barely take it. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's that scary unless you're watching it in the woods, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> there's some nice, there's some really haunting ideas in there. It's certainly, if I was in the woods at night, I'd probably think back to bits from it, and it might help scare me up a bit more. But mm. um, I don't think it's that scary to just sit and watch it. Oh, I, I think it's terrifying. I, I remember. So, do you remember we went to see this together at a film festival yes. in Leeds, and uh, I believe one of the producers was there and he oh, it was Robin Cowan. Because I remember there was one point um, he asked the audience yes about. In a sequel, <laughs> would you like to see more of the same or something completely different? It, it was brilliant, yeah. He did a Q&A and I think someone asked about the possibility of another film. And he sort of went, oh, well, actually, just out of interest, let me do a, a head count here. If there was to be a sequel, would everyone like a film that is something completely new, completely different, goes in a completely new direction, and pretty much everyone in the room put their hand up? And then he said, or would you like a film that pretty much picks up where the first film left off and carries on uh, in the same vein, expanding on that idea and what was given to you there in the original story? And pretty much no one put their hand up. And he sort of, he sounded very disappointed and he just sort of went, oh, uh, oh, okay, because I I, I did this exact thing in New York uh, last week and it was pretty much the opposite reaction so i don't know what to think yeah. anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that that for a, a first time viewing experience for me was absolute was perfect mm. like in that old cinema with an audience that was really invested in oh, it yeah. and really oh it, it was it was just wonderful and it had such an impact on me and i still think it's a terrific film and terrifying i think it's really really scary alan i'm curious to know how you came to the film then because you were you must have been what mid to late teens when it came out yeah, I would have been about 15, I 15, think. Yeah, um, yeah. But I didn't see it until a couple of years later, so... It was a bit a bit like uh, Saw two weeks ago. It was one of those things I heard all the hype about, and I was like, eh, bullshit, horror, I'm not a horror guy. I eventually got around to watching it, and uh, I really liked it. I really mm. like it still, in fact. I watched it quite recently, and um, I think it still holds up. Yeah. I guess it hits a lot of buttons for me, like nothing happens. <laughs> <laughs> it's very... It's very it's very natural is like the 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 way obviously it's mostly improvised so it feels very natural feels very real in terms of horror in terms of what gets to me with horror i like that sense uh, because if if you've ever been camping in the woods or anything like that it is scary to go out in the dark and go for a pee in the middle of the night it is it, it, because you can't see what's out there i think there's a genuine fear there that i can definitely associate with straight away hmm. it, it goes beyond the the fear at night i think I, I i don't know about you but i i spent a lot of time in the woods as a child yeah yeah 
country boys. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but I mean, you know, I speak to lots of people from Landon and stuff who don't have this experience and don't really know what I'm talking about, but there, there is a really eerie quality to the woods. Like, I, mm. I would go and spend time in the woods and... Sometimes you'd end up somewhere on your own. We, we'd often set up pranks and things, so there was a lot of, like, you get there half an hour earlier before we get there and hide in the bushes and jump out and scare us <laughs> and that sort of thing. And <laughs> even though the sun might be beating down and, you know, if you listen carefully, there's cars in the distance and stuff, there's just a really eerie quality sometimes because mm. you are still maybe a good mile or so from any other person and there mm. could be anyone behind any tree or bush at any given moment and there's mm. a sort of quietness and I, I think there is a really eerie quality to the woods I never seem to feel it unless I've spent a while just hanging out in the woods if you know what I mean, it's not something you ever get if you're just walking through or anything like mm. that and I think these films, or certainly the first film really taps into it really effectively because that's the thing. I think the film is effective horror even when it's not nighttime in the film. Yes. Yeah. Mm. I completely agree. Even when there's nothing mm. really happening and they're just yeah. trudging through and they're just bickering and whatever. There is just something about it and I don't quite know what it is because there's never really... I, I don't think there are any jump scares in it. There are no sort of like... There's definitely a um, a few bits of like the tent rustling and being moved. Oh yeah. But I think the fear is that something's going to jump out suddenly. I think that's what you're waiting for if it happens mm. or not. But then, but then in that first film, I think you're you're very definitely attuning to their fear. You are seeing it through, particularly the the girl who become becomes essentially your protagonist. You, you're the one; she's the one you're with, and she's afraid. I'm empathizing with her, and I'm kind of in her position. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. So I guess we haven't really talked about the uh, plot of the film. It's very easy to sum up. It's a trio hmm. of film students: um, Heather, Mike, and Josh. They've heard tales of this uh, Blair witch a witch who lives in the woods outside of a town called Burkittsville. And they set off into the woods to make a documentary about this witch. So yeah, it, it was really interesting actually going back to the first film because found footage, or faux found footage I suppose, that as a genre, there were a lot of Blair Witch knockoffs immediately in the 90s, or so I'm told. Mm. I'm not actually particularly aware of any by name, but people I think talk I, about I, how many films ripped it off immediately in the wake of it. Yeah, I mean, you look, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily to the extent that the entire hour and a half of film was shot through a video camera, but there were definitely films like in um, Halloween Resurrection. Mm. The, the big, uh, unique selling point about that one is that they put cameras on the heads of the victims and right. put them in the Michael Myers house, and so you see a lot of the film through their sort of perspective on video cameras and whatnot uh paranormal activities well yeah well well that's a, i was gonna say that's the thing it, it, it seemed really to me that found footage as a genre took off in about 2007 2008 and, and initially it was almost like oh what you're doing a blair witch spoof no, uh, you know people weren't even kind of on board with the idea that that could be done in a film that wasn't the Blair Witch, because I suppose it was such mm. a definitive example of that as a thing, yeah. although there are films that I'm sure we'll mention in a bit that got to the found footage thing first. But yeah, uh, it was just very interesting going back to it, 
now that that genre's kind of flared up and died down again. Because the opening, for example, feels so authentic, uh, this film. It it just feels like actual found footage. There's no real attempt to establish the characters, really. A a modern film, and indeed the sequel, uh, the, Mm. the third one even, spends a lot more time just making you aware of who these guys are, what the character is... Yeah. Um, even if it's quite superficial. And obviously you do have the brief bits and hotels and so on, but it, it really just feels far more true to its premise, I think, than mm. a lot of more modern films do. And that, that makes sense, because it was the first of its kind, and after you've seen a film that purports to be real and all that sort of thing... Well, uh, there were films that purported to be dramatizations of real events, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, some of the horror films like that. Oh, but yeah. I, th- yeah. I think... I, the, the, one of the more impressive things about this film, linking to what you were just talking about, is that there was effectively no script, really. Mm. And th- there was no professional crew. It really was yeah. these three actors filming a lot of things. And Yeah, I mean, they filmed the whole thing. It wasn't, you know, yeah. there were no cameramen. My, my understanding is the producers and directors were just setting up shit around them in the woods they were living in the woods for five days at a time or however long it was and they were leaving baskets with new charged camera batteries and Mm. um tapes and vague instructions of like go to this point on the map do this sort of thing so it it, it was almost like a manufactured experience and we just got this video diary and i think that really comes across another thing that i think really adds so much to the film even though it's only two or three minutes at the start is the use of real burkittsville residents uh there's loads of talking heads at the start just being interviewed about the blair witch and some of them are planted actors but a lot of them are just local residents who were coming out on camera and they were saying, so, do you know the legend of the Blair Witch? And they were sort of like, oh, well, you know, I think uh, my sister said she saw something in the w- in the woods once, and it, it mm. just adds such a sense of authenticity to the film that mm. wouldn't be there otherwise. It is the, this sense of blurring the line between fact and fiction and and I don't, mm. I don't think they ever made the film intending to sell it in any particular way, but we, we have to acknowledge the fact that this film was a huge, huge phenomenon. I, I think it was, at the time of release, the most successful film ever made in terms of money made percentage-wise compared to how much money was spent on it. Um, mm. I think Paranormal Activity has since topped the uh, numbers there. The thing is, it was sold as a real bit of found footage. That was the gimmick. They marketed it as real, mm. they marketed it as these actors have gone missing, and an unbelievable amount of people bought into it. I guess it's before internet and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Or, or it was in internet's infancy. I and I, and I think, well, that's it. It was marketed via the internet predominantly. Oh. Yeah, it was one of the forerunners of that sort of thing. Back then, it wasn't easy to verify this sort of thing. So I, I think I heard something like one in four people who were surveyed on the way out of the film at, at some screenings believed it to be real. It is believable. Obviously I watched it, I knew it wasn't real, but you can buy into it that it is real because of the way it's presented, Mm. because of the way they act, because it isn't sort of neatly wrapped up at the end or anything like that. It's kind of... And because... It feels like a real story. The first film really really treads that line so expertly well between reality and supernatural. It Mm. It really does let you have your cake and eat it too. If you don't like supernatural nonsense, then... Well, 
it could just be a hobo living in the woods. It could be a mad yeah. madman who believes himself to be a witch doing hor- horrific things. It could be anything. You know, the one guy goes missing, it could be him messing with them. And that's very scary, I think. But at the same time, what makes that scarier to me is this slight twinge of, but what if it is magic? <laughs> Even though, like, mm. even though it obviously isn't, what if it is? And there, there's that extra element of of horror there, and I, I think it's really to this film's credit, it does such a wonderful job of hitting that tone just expertly yeah. well. Very, very few films I can think of manage that in the same way. Mm. And I think I, I do think there's a lot of luck here. I think I think there's a reason that this film rose up out of the out of the independent circuit and and others didn't. Yeah, you, it just created that right chemistry. You got the the right actors who were going to give you those um, reactions. I'm not even using the word performances because obviously mm. they knew they were acting. But I think there's a lot of genuine sort of fear in there because oh, it's God. just a scary. Yeah situation yeah i mean they were they were starving hungry barely eaten they were just eating what was being left for them in the baskets i mentioned before being chased around the woods it's really easy to get genuinely worked up and they they said you know people always point to the scene in alien with the the chest burster being a phenomenal sequence because they didn't quite know what to expect well this is an entire film of that it's an entire (laughs) film of actors waking up things being left outside their tent in the night that they don't know what they are, having to explore them, running through the woods, people maybe waiting for them in the woods, maybe not, they don't know what's coming, and and that comes across. And I believe the director set certain things up, so for example, they got one of the actors and said, we've taken the map, you've lost the map. The others sort of find mm-hmm. that out in the day, oh, you've lost the map, and they get pissed off at him, and they don't know that the directors have sort of set it up, so to speak. And so that kind of annoyance and aggression is very mm. real. And, and and even just down to the most iconic bit of them running through the woods towards the end after things mm. are making noise and touching the tent and so on, you never see the witch in this film. That's, one of, that's something we'll mm. talk about in a minute, but... Um, (laughs) there was someone stood off camera you never see uh, dressed all in white just waiting in the shadows yeah one of the producers in like a white nightgown I had no idea I never heard that story I think think she says what the fuck is that or something at one point when she's running and that's basically because she just like stumbled into the producer like dressed in white and there's all sorts of things like that that were just planted for them to work off of but then very wisely you never Ever see any of it as a viewer mm, mm. and i suppose that's something we might as well talk about here uh i mean as i said i i saw this film for the first time on tv a lot of people at my school watched it that night and the next day i was pretty much the only person who seemed to like the film and oh really for the oh, longest yeah. while i i just used it as a gauge of whether or not someone was a capable film uh viewer or more like broadly and that's not to say you know you you can have perfectly fine taste in film and not get it but the the people who were dismissing this film were dismissing it for the most stupid reasons and and more often than not it came down not enough killings yeah more often than not it came down to you never see the witch you should have seen the witch at the end and i'd say to them no you obviously shouldn't have seen the witch and they were like no Mm. just for a second you just need needed to see it and no because the second you see the witch, it's just some someone yes. in a rubber mask. And seven, 17 mm. years later, you got your proof. But the, the minute you see the witch, it ruins all sense of ambiguity, all sense yep. of 
the horror, as I was talking before, that the line that this film was treading so expertly well is out the window. It's gone. It's the exact same principle mm. that made Jaws work, really. The, the imagination is generally scarier. You've just got to prime the imagination and let it do its own thing. Yeah. Are you aware that they did film, a, a, much like Paranormal Activity, they did film a really elaborate ending. Once the film got picked up oh, for distribution, really? yeah, they got given some more Oh, money. afterwards? Yeah, they were they were given more money to go back and film a, a a big bombastic ending to make it more satisfying, and they filmed it, but they never used it because it. What, what did that ending film. entail? Uh, there's there's some photos that have recently surfaced of basically the guy who stood in the corner isn't yeah. stood in the corner. He's tied up to one of those stick figure, like a giant effigy, almost like the Wicker Man. He's like. Like almost like a crucifix, yeah. he's tied up to this giant Blair Witch stick yeah. figure thing and screaming, okay. and I think she was going to run down and see him tied up to it, and then he gets killed or something. But it had obviously cost more money than the rest of the film put together just to build that <laughs> set. If that had been in the film, it would have been really silly, and it would have yeah. ruined all sense of ambiguity, which is why it's scary. Now, the conclusion they have works, I think it works beautifully, but it's it's so anticlimactic and it's a reason that a lot of people hate it yeah uh, but actually it works perfectly i mean with the you've had enough setup that you know oh they made a stand facing in the corner and all that and you you go in and you see the guy in the corner it's so scary that yeah. that is that is really scary it is terrifying isn't it i'll tell you how well it works you can try this with your friends and loved ones um <laughs> if you're going if you're going into a basement or something just make sure you're a few steps ahead of them oh my god and and go in and just stand in the corner and see how much they shit themselves when they walk in. If anyone ever did that to me, my God, I'd uh, it'd be horrible. Um, but yeah, I, I think like a, a lesser film would have, because obviously the ending is she goes down with the camera, she sees him in the corner, she, then she screams, and then the camera just drops to the floor. Mm. A much lesser film, you know, would you would have seen footsteps like you know scurrying in front of the camera or something, or or like what the Paranormal Activity reshot ending did, where you'd see you know she'd like lunge at the camera or whatever, mm. or and then it. Rest- strained from doing that and it was just fine ending god i loved it for that yeah Uh, yeah it's such a it just lets you swim in it that final moment and you're just sat there oh it's it's yeah should we talk about time travel this is a good point to uh all right because the house because the house if it burnt to the ground well, this this is a theory, a fan theory, I guess that is because because the thing is that house is I could buy that there was a fire in that house as it is. I agree. I agree. It's a shell of a house. However, the prominent theory and the one that the third film certainly takes and runs uh, with is that there's some weird sort of time warp that the characters have fallen into, which goes part way to explaining how they've got stuck in the woods in the first place and how there's this weird sense of like not even knowing how long they've been out there and blah 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 uh yeah i think it was very much a fan theory and something you could work with in the first film but it's now become canon (laughs) well the other thing about the uh the whole ending thing and the guy being stood in the corner that's something that one of the townspeople earlier on attributes to a guy that they mentioned called rustin parr who was a a child murder in like the 1940s and he would make one of the kids stand facing mm. the corner of a wall while he killed the other one um that's not the blair witch that's rustin parr apparently unless yeah. we are to believe yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. but this is rustin parr's house yes yeah yes 
yeah. and, so, but, but, it's, but, then, but Rustin Parr is meant to be intrinsically tied to the Blair Witch in some capacity that we're mm. not really fully aware of. But yeah, yes. this this is something that comes up again in the third film that there's entities at play that aren't actually the witch and blah 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 blah. But mm. yeah, yeah. So yeah, going back to how this feels like a prototype for the kind of films that followed, I, I find the characters so much just far less obnoxious than most films in this genre tend to be, and I, I think yeah. that's because they are just normal people on video. They're not actually mm. trying mm. to convey any sense of character. Yeah. I think most films like this have really annoying, obnoxious characters because they've got 20... 20 minutes at the start to mm. give them all these funny moments and character yeah, like bits. Cloverfield. Yeah, and you're just <laughs> sick of it because they're trying so hard to make you care about them. And, and you know, we're, we're humans, we're empathetic creatures. Just show us humans and we'll care that they're in danger. Well, you know what, I'm... I'm- I'm I'm glad that you brought up the cast because them especially Heather who is the the main character I would say like she got nominated for a Razzie for this film and she's you know constant people constantly go on about how whingy these three are and how obnoxious and horrible they are and I don't know if it's just because we were all film students at one point that she she doesn't come across as obnoxious or no, pretentious I, to I me like she's just I, I think I she think... wants to get a good grade I she comes across as very real to me. She I, comes I really across exactly. like She gets lost in the woods and has a horrible time, and she's understandably at wit's end and, and emotional, but it never comes across as... I've seen enough found footage films. There are plenty of films with horribly unlikable characters, and you don't care at all, but I mm. never got that from this film, ever. There's the, the, the big scene where she does a monologue to camera, and I think she's very good at that, and, and she improvised yeah, that yeah. as well, bear in mind. She improvised the dialogue of, I'm scared to close my eyes, I'm scared to open them. I mean, that's better dialogue than you'll find in either of the sequels, which were properly scripted. So... Mm. Yeah, and, and definitely, I think, like you are saying with the Razzies and all that, I mean, the Razzies are bullshit, but it is very much, there was this big hype, and then you did get that backlash as well, and so... Mm. And there was a lot of people, because of the hype, went to see this great new horror film and yeah. came out going, oh, no no killings. And then, um, <laughs> uh, and so I think there was a bit of a backlash. And I think the Razzies just, you know, they'll just hop on any kind of bandwagon they can get. Yeah. For comparison's sake, the Razzies gave Shelley Duvall a, a, a Razzie for The Shining. Mm. So as, as we spoke about, this film did practically invent a genre the the found footage genre it popularized it should we well that's it should we mention the films that led up to this point cannibal holocaust is uh... that that is the sort of definitive yeah yeah that's the start of it cannibal holocaust have either of you guys seen that oh yeah 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 dreadful film. i haven't actually no. i was gonna oh, say it's maybe we can look at that one absolute day. shit it is isn't horrible it? isn't it so, i'm really happy that you it's just horrible for the sake of it unpleasant gore for gore's sake, killing animals for the sake of it. Oh, when they kill that beautiful giant tortoise. Or, yeah, yeah. It's just Arguably horrible. exploitative of uh, the tribes uh, folk. Mm. It, it's just, just a horrible film. and It's not scary, it's not... No. But that film is um, a normal film for half an hour, but then... The idea is this film crew went off into the Amazon or wherever it is, and and then you watch the footage within the film. So it never presents itself as real footage. It's yeah, it's yeah. it's just footage within the film. But yeah. that is very much the start of this. And then um, 
there was Ghost Watch, which is oh, a, of a course, truly, I forgot about Ghost Watch. Truly mm-hmm. wonderful TV special, TV mm. movie, arguably. I love Ghost Watch uh, from nineteen ninety, which we might well do an episode with on one day. It's it's honestly just wonderful. And allegedly, the directors of the Blair Witch Project had seen that and took influence from it. And you, mm. you can get a sense of that, just building an experience rather than a narrative necessarily. Because Ghost Watch was full of little things, like there, there's a ghost throughout the thing who is, you never see the ghost officially, but he is hiding in about 50 shots in the film, if you, like, you know, in crowds and uh, stood behind places so you can just see his shadow, and and you really do pick up on these subtle things that just give you a sense of there being something not right. And But to, just to be clear, for anybody who doesn't know, Ghostwatch was put out on TV as real. It was like, this is... Well, it wasn't, uh, we're doing it wasn't. A, we're doing a, a documentary into... Well, if you didn't... If you just came in... If, came much like it, the yeah. uh, War of the Worlds radio broadcast yeah. that Orson Welles did, if you missed all the advertising, came in late, mm. halfway through... You didn't buy the radio times. Weren't very discerning and didn't like look at the end credits to see who was credited as the ghost and things like that. Then yeah, you could totally buy it was real. But but yeah, it was presented as real insofar as it was a spoof almost. It was presented by you know my, is it Michael Aspel? It was Michael Park- Park- you know, Parkey and Craig oh, was Charles it as well. Yeah, yeah, like popular presenters of the day who would have done this exact sort of thing. It was like it was totally. It felt totally legit. Mm. And yeah, the the other film leading into this is something I know you're a fan of, Alan. The Last Broadcast. Have you seen mm. that one, Calvin? I've never even heard of it. What is it? It's very much the blueprint for the Blair Witch Project. Oh. To be totally well, honest. from what I understand, the Last Broadcast came out in about '98. It was they were basically it was made at the same time as Blair Witch, and it was just two sort it, of. It, it beat Blair oh. Witch slightly to the punch, but it was just two similar ideas that kind of were made at the same time. Oh, okay. I don't think it's very good, but it's an incredibly interesting film. There's so there's a lot to like in there, and it was really innovative, and yeah. If the Blair Witch Project didn't exist, the last broadcast would be a really interesting film. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because basically someone else did the idea yeah. better at the same time, yeah, I... it was it's got lost a little bit. But it's, it's, it's very interesting because it is almost exactly the same for a huge portion hmm. of it. Because just to give a basic plot, the, blo- the last broadcast is about these two... They make a public access television show, so like a little... Mm. It, it's presented as a documentary, though. It's not presented as found footage. It's presented as... There's a, nar- there's a narrator, they're saying, here's the chilling moment when... So you do have found footage mixed in, but it's mixed in with talking head interviews and narrator stitching it all together. Hmm. Because the, the, the general concept is... A documentary maker is going, look, these two guys went into the woods and something happened. I'm going to make a documentary about it and follow where they went. Mm. And then, so then he's, I've got their footage, so I'm going to drop that in as we go along. And the last broadcast very much does try to create uh, an ending, a a sort of climactic ending, and and very much fails uh, in that attempt. Okay, well, we can stop fawning now. Before we get to the second one, uh, are you guys familiar with the abandoned... Basically, the the directors wanted to make a follow-up film. Oh. And I think this might have been after the second one, actually, that they were really pushing to make it. The, the the production company went, right, that film did really well, let's make a sequel. And the directors went, well, hang on, let's just give it a minute, let's figure out an idea. So this, the studio went, well, we're making a sequel, good luck with you, whatever you're doing, yeah. see ya. <laughs> and so the second film, the directors of the first had nothing to do with. They, um, 
the second film, yeah, they wanted to, the directors wanted to go off and make a romantic comedy. They were raising the money to make that. Uh, that fell through when some company merged with another company and never got made. But hmm. because they were opting to just try and do something different with the opportunity they had off the back of that film before going back yeah. to the well, uh, the companies involved weren't willing to wait two or three years for a new Blair Witch film and wanted it immediately the following year. So they, yeah, they ploughed ahead with their own thing. They hired a documentary filmmaker who didn't yeah. have, he certainly didn't have much. I don't know if he had any uh, narrative fiction experience. They They hired him off the back of I think predominantly a film he made, which he mentions a lot of times in his commentary track for the film, which I'll be playing you some clips of shortly, um, called Paradise Lost, which was a documentary about some uh, teenagers who were accused of being satanic ritualists who'd gone out and murdered people in the woods, uh, which is almost certainly, it would appear to be part of the occult hysteria that happened around that time and, yeah. and just nonsense overblown nonsense but you can sort of see the dots that led to him being hired but they clearly hired him thinking right he's going to ape his own work and his own aesthetic as a documentarian and mm. he was sort of like no i'm gonna do something completely different and for whatever <laughs> reason no one seems to be stopping me and <laughs> we got the blair which uh Project Two, Book of Shadows. Mm. When I first when I first watched this, I I thought actually that it was the original directors. I thought, oh, they've tried to do a legit that film. that would make more like sense, a proper film it? because they want to prove themselves. Oh, and then hire us for the. And then I found out they weren't involved. And then that yeah, they hired this this guy who was a documentary maker and has gone on to make many documentaries. He hasn't moved into fiction. This is pretty much his fiction thing that he did. Mm. But he has a real chip on his shoulder, which you'll hear in the clips. Because, oh, brilliant. Okay. Because he does not like the way that the Blair Witch Project blurred the lines between fiction and reality. And he talks at great length about... It seems that he's upset that they were aping his craft. Uh, but he also talks a lot, in some ways, very prescient. In, like, Not to give him too much credit, but he, he says a lot of stuff about how blurring the line between what's real and what isn't is very dangerous. And we elect our politicians on sound bites, and who knows where that'll take us if uh, we continue yeah. down this this uh, line. So that's very interesting, actually, because as a as a as a film student uh, and a, a documentary. In fact, I wrote my undergraduate dissertation on documentary and uh, and the sort of reasonings behind it, the psychological inf- the psychological influences of the filmmaker on a documentary. <laughs> and basically, yeah, exactly. But basically, my my point was that. No matter how, what you do as a documentary filmmaker, you are influencing the subject, even when yes. you sit down and edit it. Be- and and so I find the Blair Witch Project a very interesting example from a documentary point of view because so much of it is real. Mm. They were really fucking with these people in the mm. woods, but then it's also fake, you know. So yeah. I find that quite interesting. Well, Joe Berlinger, we haven't actually referenced his name. Yeah. I think we probably should. <laughs> Joe Berlinger is the is the director of uh, Blair Witch Two and writer, the documentary maker. So so this second one, the, the Blair Witch Two is it's a famously awful film. Um, mm. It's a bad sequel, obviously. Yeah, but it's not even a good film. But, <laughs> it's, but, not it, even but a... it's famously like one of the worst films ever made. Level of bad. That's kind. That's his reputation. Yeah. And I, I, might, I don't know if that's I might make a bit. Fair. Yeah, I might make a bit of a defense for it in a minute. But 
Um, it's... Given its reputation, it was a lot better than I thought it was yeah. going to be. The, I mean, yeah, basically, this is a bad film. I do not think it's a good film, but it's a very entertaining, watchable film. And that's a lot more than I can say than a lot of films. So I I would much rather have to sit down and watch Blair Witch 2 again than any of the uh, Saw movies, actually, uh, that I've watched. <laughs> So uh, put it that way, and that's not to say you know I, I'd even I'd even acknowledge that the Saw movies are probably better <laughs> films overall. Um, uh, they're just more hard work to get through. Oh no, I really didn't like Saw four or five. <laughs> but so yeah, starting at the beginning, the first five minutes of Blair Witch two are a kind of faux documentary pieced together with real Use footage, footage. intercut with actors, and I yes. I love the first five minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, they well, return to Burkittsville. Uh, there's a load of real residents doing real interviews, talking about how pissed off they are about the hysteria caused by the release of the first film and people who believed it and thought it was real. Mm. It takes on the... That's something we should add, actually. I think a lot of people were really confused by this film because it acknowledges the release of the first film as a movie. I didn't have a problem with that. It's easy enough to buy, well, yeah, the first film was released, assembled from quote-unquote genuine footage, so... That was something that I was really, like, excited about and didn't realise when I started watching the film that the first film is a film within this film and it's set in a world in which the Blair Witch Project is a true found footage film and someone actually did cobble together a, a feature film based on this real experience. And I thought, brilliant, that's a really good yeah, way like to start this, yeah. I, I love the opening, and it evokes the the feeling from the first film, but it's giving you something new. And then the the hook of this one is, it's essentially a traditionally shot film, but they call it a reenactment, which I think is a great idea. I just mm. think it's something that they probably shouldn't have done until Blair Witch 5. <laughs> When they're yeah. <laughs> kind of running out of ideas. And the other problem is, it doesn't feel like a reenactment. It feels like a feature film. It feels like, you know, it's shot yeah. like a movie. It's clearly got millions of dollars behind it. These reenactments are done on the cheap for TV. And, and, and not to mention that the reenactment appears to be shot using the real-life people playing themselves. Because they set up a few of them in the opening crawl in the mm. talking heads bit, in the quote-unquote real footage. So it's, it's, it doesn't really work. It's not thought through very well. There's a load of obnoxious bits of editing and flash cuts thrown in there. Uh, listening to the commentary that I did for preparation, that appears to all have come from the studio, and the director wasn't very happy about it, but he didn't mm. stick to his guns enough, I guess, to not have it so you have all these annoying smash cuts of things and what have you Marilyn Manson at the start was also a studio thing he didn't want Mm. so it seems like he was very much a new inexperienced director who was made to make a lot of choices that he's not happy about uh, in the finished film Hmm. ultimately I think this film is a good idea done very badly Uh, and it's a shame and so yeah what what are the broad strokes here Uh, so we pick up Blair which was real there's a guy running a kind of fan tour which is an idea that I love Yeah, that he takes people into the woods on the Blair Witch experience. There's a rival group they run into at one point that I love that um, are doing the same exact thing. And I don't quite know why they couldn't both stay in the same area overnight, but for some reason they can't. Yeah, Uh, And they basically uh, black out, don't remember what happened over the last few hours. 
after a night of heavy drinking and drugs and what have you. So it, it's a bit odd that they're so weirded out by it. That did bother me that they were so freaked out. And even when they started to find footage of them sort of dancing around, mm. and like, oh my god, I can't remember whether this happened. It's like, you were off your face. <laughs> you were doing drink and drugs. Like, okay, the fact that you all blacked out is unusual, but maybe you got some heavy shit that you didn't even realise. What really annoys me is one of the things that really upsets them is when they wake up from blacking out in the woods, one of them's there or two of them rather are there researching a book that they're writing and their book is torn to shreds and it's it's snowing paper how they shoot it in oh the yes and and they're yes, like oh my god our book we this is awful we're ruined and someone says well what don't you have a copy no this is our only copy who in their right fucking mind <laughs> takes their one copy of a book they're writing that's got a, a deadline <laughs> coming up that they're now not gonna be able to meet into the woods on a hiking expedition. It's going to get wet. Yeah. It's going to get soggy. I mean, who would take that anyway? It's just difficult to carry. Yeah. <laughs> and essentially, the bulk of the film is they go back to the guy who ran the tour's home. Uh, he's got this big sort of studio building that he lives in. Uh, he's got a load of edit- video editing equipment, which is, you know, more impressive <laughs> back then than it is nowadays. Because it's very basic stuff. They're, they're asking, like, <laughs> can, you, can, you, can you reverse the footage? <laughs> well, yes, I can. <laughs> As if it's... <laughs> Can you can you go one frame at a time? Oh yes. Enhance. <laughs> <laughs> well at one point they do that. They enhance and it somehow becomes like a completely different completely angle. different footage. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, it, it, so the bulk of the film is just them sat around in this house going through footage very slowly <laughs> and weird shit happening with one of them starts acting a bit weird. Some of them are having weird dreams and daydreams and mm. It's all a bit. Yeah, they're not. The starts to blur reality yeah. and yeah, what's what's real, what's not. Although it came out in the year two thousand, this might be the most nineties movie I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what you think about that. The goth chick, the music, the yeah, <laughs> the style. Doesn't it feel like maybe a live action Scooby Doo movie was being oh made my God, that yes. fell apart and they just scooped up the cast yeah. from it? Yeah. Now every now and then, there's some handheld stuff in this film, particularly near the start. They take cameras with them and you see through the camera. Those scenes, as as few as there are, are, are like ten times better than the rest of the film and it just makes you yeah. wish the whole thing had been done like that. Yeah. yeah. Part of the setup part of the setup for this is the guy takes loads of cameras out there and they film everything and then mm. obviously they use that later to look at the footage. But it was just and like, look, you've got all these cameras, just do it as a, a shot footage thing. Well, this is the thing. Like, the, the director goes on and on in the commentary about how he was trying to make a satire about blurring the line between reality and, and fiction and how it's dangerous. Wouldn't that have worked better? Oh, and, he, and like I say, he's got a chip on his shoulder about aping documentary styles and he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to just do that. He said he felt it'd be derivative of the first film, blah, 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 blah. But you can do all that satirization and, and making that commentary. You can do it more effectively if you make a, a mockumentary, essentially. If you, mm. if you Trojan horse it in there, like if you have them doing the exact same thing, going on a tour of the woods because the first film was so successful and commenting on it, but they're filming it themselves because they want to make the Blair Witch, because they want to emulate it. It, it, I don't know, it's just, it's such a missed opportunity, but like I say, you get the impression there was a weird breakdown in communication with the director and he had a weird chip on his shoulder about what they'd done and Hmm. wanted to do his own thing and it's weird. I, I must say, I think the film missed a real trick by not having separate reenactment actors and like talking head real 
people. Mm. Um, I think this film would be ten times better if it was the same thing, but you had reenactment footage intercut with real, quote-unquote, real police videos of the interview. You know, the guys being interrogated by a policeman. Mm, Uh, You have the security footage in the guy's house that he has, because he's got security cameras everywhere, and occasionally you see through the cameras. That's that's it, Um, If you've got CCTV in the shop at one point, you've got some handheld stuff near the start. If they just had that, but intercut well, with reenactment the thing footage. Is, but the thing is, with this, I guess this is what the director was going for. All the, all that footage is the truth. All that footage is what really happened. What what we see is what they see, which is turns out yeah. to be fake with the ending. So that's obviously the point he's trying to make. I think that would be far more effective if, like I say, it was more of a 50-50 split between quote-unquote real and reenactment. If it wasn't just, here's a, a an 80-minute reenactment movie, but there's 10 minutes at the start that aren't reenactment. If you did, like, yeah, something happens and you see that and then you pan across and you see the CCTV cameras and it's not quite the same or something looks different. Do you know what I mean? You're seeing the same room but the things are in a different position or something. Like, Mm. some sort of little clues that we go, oh, hang on, that's not quite, that doesn't quite sync up with what happened. How I would have done it is basically found footage until the point that the camera gets broken in the woods. That's when you switch to reenactment footage. You, You make a thing out of it. You have new actors in there that are different to the main people you maybe even have some document you know talking heads thrown in you know then you fill it in with other bits of footage when you can you you anyway um so in this film we we in this film we repeatedly see a i don't know if it's meant to be the blair witch or just some creepy little girl the witch killed or something but that's yeah what is that about who is that supposed to be it's just a, such. Oh, let's have a creepy kid in like nineteen ten dress. Like it's such done up like the. Come Exorcist. play with us, it's, Danny. It's such, it's such total horror film bollocks that does not make any sense. It's not contextualized at all. One of the um one of the biggest issues I have with this film as well is that at the end. So the big thing is, as you say, there's a discrepancy between what quote unquote really happened and what the characters say happened. And the idea is all these mass hysteria and they the hysteria of the first film got them whipped up into a panic and they the reenactment footage is this massively paranormal nonsense. But then you watch the footage and they were all just killing each other and stabbing each other and stuff. Mm. Now, there's a sense of ambiguity as to whether or not they were being they were possessed, possessed or something. Or yeah, not. that's definitely yeah. what I got but that idea. There's a, there's a real cheapness, I think, to the fact that this film just says, this happened. No, actually, this happened. If this mm. film wanted to work, those reenactment scenes needed to work better. Because what we mm. see is a reenactment scene where something's happening and then a different scene where completely different dialogue's happening and the characters are going... <gasps> And, and it should have been written in a way that it kind of yeah. works both ways. Yes. If you know what I mean? There's setups, there's things hinting that things aren't right the first time round. Much like any film with a twist does. If you go back and watch The Sixth Sense, no one interacts with him, as we've discussed in our Sixth Sense episode. He is clearly a ghost throughout, and it works. Mm. And that's how this should have been put together. But instead, it's this really lazy, pull the rug from under your feet yeah. bullshit, just. Oh yeah, we yep. were lying. <laughs> we just made that up that last <laughs> last half hour. So yeah, shall I shall I play you some uh, clips of the commentary I've curated? I would love to hear some. Hearing from okay. what you say, the director sounds like he's a bit of a um, ego. Yeah, yeah, okay, then yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go um, with that one. He, to be fair to him, most of what he said was fairly reasonable, but he did come across as a bit pretentious. <laughs> it, it seems honestly like he shouldn't have taken the gig. 
It sounds yeah. as if he 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 was an opportunist. He took a gig on a film that he didn't really want to make, used it as an opportunity to make something else, and didn't quite manage to mesh what he wanted to do with what the thing ended up having to be, and the end mm. result is pleasing nobody whatsoever. Oh, <laughs> poor Joe Berging. Building, uh, <laughs> right. This aerial comes straight out of Paradise Lost. Uh, in Paradise Lost and Revelations, we have uh, aerial footage of the highway. Just talking about Paradise in my director's Lost, cut and in that. my script, there is no gore. <laughs> By that was the documentary so graphically this. showing this uh, this gore, I think it destroys some of the ambiguity. Um, here we have an aerial shot. Uh, we we tried to do a lot of aerials in the in the movie. Uh, here's one of those famous flash cuts that I wish was not in the movie uh, because it gives the ending away. The tree. This tree was... Um, oh, here's another one of those gory shots that I don't want in the movie. Oh, well. Oh, my God. <laughs> this was presented as a sequel, presented as a horror movie, so I guess nobody wanted to hear the deeper meanings to it. But to me, the movie is about the dangers of blurring the lines between fiction and reality. That is a very dangerous thing, my friends. Um, is, are these clips that you've edited together yourself? Yes. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, although some some I will have to point out are just hilarious because he goes from one thing to the other, and I haven't edited them edited them together. So I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. But I love yeah. the oh, there's a gory shot that I didn't want in my movie. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I really like that. Even though I love Marilyn Manson and actually filmed Marilyn Manson in a Rolling Stone special, and he's a big fan of Paradise Lost. <laughs> the opening uh, cue, I had Frank Sinatra's Witchcraft and no intercutting of gore. Satirical. Basically, I was satirizing the Blair Witch cultural hysteria that happened a year ago. Um, the problem with putting all the gore, it creates this confusion of tone. The sheriff, for example, who I purposefully designed to be over the top, and by the way, his ponytail is reminiscent of someone else in Paradise Lost with a ponytail, for those of you who know Paradise Lost. This owl was the bane of my existence. We had to quick cut because the owl was so fake looking, and I was very disappointed in uh, the animatronics of it. Uh, if you look closely, the weather changes between shots. It was quite a, a problem matching. He does a lot of pointing out uh, flaws in the film as well, which I quite enjoy. If you look carefully in a couple of shots, you see crew members behind certain people. I will cue you as to when that's going to happen, although we just missed, missed a couple of times <laughs> uh, right there to the right. I actually love the footage in isolation, like it's great footage for my reel, but I'm not sure it belongs in the movie because it tarnishes. Given the fact that I am a handheld documentary filmmaker, I think a lot of people are surprised that I did not, including Artisan, I think they thought that I would shoot a movie that was <laughs> yes, a fake documentary like the first one. But more importantly, you know, those guys are not documentary filmmakers and it's okay for them. It's actually not okay, and it's one of the themes of the movie. But it's okay for them to do a fake documentary. You know, I don't think it's right to tell people something is real when it isn't. You know, when it was announced that Joe Berlinger, the documentary maker, was doing the sequel to The Blair Witch Project, I am sure everyone thought, okay, we're going to have more handheld horror in the woods. So, as I said before, the horror takes place not in the woods. The movie is shot in 35 millimeter. It uses mixed media and video, but for thematic reasons. Uh, it does not use the found footage technique. And I try to use uh, a very theatrical 
uh, style of camera work, uh, over the top and theatrical on purpose, because to me that's very ironic. It's mm -hmm. ironic that a documentary oh, maker shit. who has documented real evil in the woods is asked to do the sequel to The Blair Witch Project. <laughs> so instead of pandering to expectations, I chose to defy expectations on every level. The dangers of blurring the lines between fiction and reality, because when you blur the line between fiction and reality, between news and entertainment, you run, you run the risk, which is the moral of this movie, you run the risk of not knowing what the difference is between what is real and what isn't. And that's sort of the point of this whole film, is that if you so blur the line, if you can tell people something is a documentary and send them into the movie theater saying, hey, this is a documentary, and people run out of the theaters thinking it's a documentary because they're so undiscerning about the media they consume, and they go to Burkittsville, the real town of Burkittsville, and confront the locals and say, hey, we know the Blair Witch is real, um, I think we're going to get to the point in our society where we no longer know the difference. We elect our politicians on sound bites. So, yeah, that, that was his big rant that I think gives the best impression of the chip he has on his shoulder <laughs> with regards to the first film. And Yeah, that's quite astonishing. But, huh. but to give him his credit, what he says is sort of true. I, I don't know hmm. if it's quite fair to blame President Trump on the Blair Witch Project, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's... <sighs> what you said sort of has happened uh yeah i think but that's, that's the thing i think what he's saying is there's truth to what he's saying F fake news he's positing it in the wrong place i don't think yeah. the blair witch project that is that is presented as a film it's not really because it was kind of presented as a documentary but then but it, it was still went out in cinemas as a fiction film you know it was yeah so yeah this is him uh this is him talking about the directors of the first film in relation okay. to him and the second film. Um, I have tremendous respect for what Myrick and Sanchez did, although it might you guys might be interested to know we've had almost zero contact in the making of this movie. Um, they read the script and didn't like it, and that was the last I heard from them <laughs> until I handed in the movie and I heard they didn't like it, and Dan and I exchanged a few messages and, but we've never really talked. So, um, you know, uh, their names are on the movie, but they uh, I don't really think they endorse it. But I do respect, totally respect what they did, and I know they respect uh, our documentary work. <laughs> wow. I, th I, think, I think more film series should get directors who clearly dislike the, uh, <laughs> the very root and concept of the, uh, the series to begin with. And I'm surprised not more people, you know, talk about this scene because I still think it was a, a more impactful ending to, to do it that way. But what do I know? I'm just the director. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. So irritating. Because I made some connections to Paradise Lost, Paradise Lost is about three Arkansas teens oh, accused sake. of devil-worshipping murders. It's, it's really a powerful moment. <laughs> that's very good oh, I, love that. I mean it really is it's, it's the idea that he thinks it's a powerful moment at the end when it just isn't <laughs> they're just bickering but then the guy just goes fucking witch <laughs> oh that's hilarious that is really good why did he do it
I don't think any of us expected to um, repeat the tremendous success that the first movie had. I don't think any of us expected to, you know, take the world by storm. You know, and I think it's a pretty good sequel to a horror movie. So I hope, uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, check out uh, Paradise Lost. <laughs> Can I just say, by the way, that that isn't even every instance of him mentioning Paradise Lost <laughs> that's in the commentary. Um, there's, there's a few I didn't include. And it's not even every instance of him complaining about the shots of gore that were put in as well. Brilliant. That's the second one. Anything else to say there? It wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was still terrible. And I think I like it less now that I've heard the director talk about <laughs> yeah. it. So Book of Shadows killed the franchise and yep. uh, last year, surprisingly out of nowhere, it was revealed that they'd gone and made a sequel, um, mm. a more conventional, straight-up sequel. Yeah, so they, they shot this film in secret, weirdly, uh, under the name of The Woods. Do you mm. know about this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was all done very hush hush, and uh, yeah, and then they, I believe yeah. they screened it at Comic Con, was it or something? Yeah, like that? just Some surprise. Kind of they knew it was going to be a screening of the woods, but obviously it turned into a surprise screening of Blair Witch. Mm. Uh, they say they shot it in secret to avoid negative reaction on the internet from people complaining about the fact that they were making a sequel to the Blair Witch Project, which seems mm-hmm. odd. It's a weird. Thing. I, I think much more it was just a really cool thing to go by the way this is a secret sequel we've made for you to enjoy now you only have to wait two mm. months for it to come out yeah um, that i is enjoyed that, that yeah <laughs> people can still complain on the internet in that two month period yeah. or it's, after uh... it's come out as uh... <laughs> well some people did spot it didn't they because there was the stick figure i looked um... into it there there were people saying that they think it they believed it to be a, a sequel but it, it none of it had really caught on and it wasn't why like, i wasn't aware of it and i'm a big fan mm. of Blair Witch as a franchise, so yeah, it passed me by. Yeah, I mean, because they they put a trailer out using footage from the film, but it was edited weirdly and disguised to the fact that it was even found footage, and they they shot it in a different woodland specifically to avoid people thinking it was Blair Witch. Because if they went, you know, if a film crew turned up in the same woods, I guess everyone would know what they were doing. And mm-hmm. so yeah, uh, the Blair Witch is a straight up sequel, picking up where the first film left off. Essentially, I mean, it's not yeah. the same characters, but it's a new group of kids who go into the woods. Uh, one of them is the brother of Heather from the first film, who is. Mm-hmm convinced she might still be out there some new tapes appear uh, or are discovered rather and seem to suggest that there's still someone out there so they mount an expedition along with a a, a load of cameras because someone is once again a film student making a documentary project alan i i'm gonna guess you don't like this one well i actually thought i don't think it's a bad film i i enjoyed great elements of it uh to a point i think it's a bit pointless i think it's a rehash of the original it doesn't add enough well to to justify it and loses a lot of the kind of soul mm. of the original what i'll praise about it because although this is definitely it definitely you can tell the difference that these are actors performing a script yeah oh yes but i will say they do it very well i like i like the actors mm. i think they're very good and i'm sure there's some improv in there as well yeah it felt natural in the sense of a hollywood film playing mm. natural rather yeah. than blair witch project which feels real yeah. and so i was happy with that and i could go with that 
Um, there is a definitely a moment, uh, and I'll, I'll see if you can tell where it is, an exact moment in the film where it goes... This is a moment where it goes from being, a, you know, from for me, a decent horror film, where it lost me, basically, where I went from, okay, this is a perfectly good uh, horror film, I'm liking the characters, I like the actors, it, it feels a mm. bit sort of rehashed, but it's fine, to you've lost me. Do you know where that moment was? When they snap the stick figure and it, it's like a full-blown voodoo doll and the woman snaps. Yes, that is the moment, yes. Oh! <laughs> and that was the point where we go, there is no ambiguity at all here, there is paranormal stuff going yeah. on, and it just completely lost me. The tent suddenly flies up, and yeah, it's just like, well, all bets are off now, anything can happen, and it's just yeah. nonsense. I, I, so, and before we get into this in too much detail, I'm just going to read some reviews out uh, for this film to give okay. a sense of how it went down. Uh, so Rotten Tomatoes' quote is packed with action and populated by familiar uh, ideas and fresh blood. Blair Witch successfully recalls the series' former glory while injecting it with renewed energy. Hmm. Oh wait, no, hmm. that's Star Wars The Force Awakens, which uh, got oh. 93% or something. And apparently Blair Witch is um, a handful of effective scares, but aside from a few new twists, it mainly offers a belated rehash of the original and far more memorable first film. Why is it okay for Star Wars to do it? Star Wars came out, everyone loved it. There were reviews going on, well, it's, the Force it's Awakens. just a re- yeah, The Force Awakens. Well, yeah. it's the same exact bullshit as before. It's the exact same film. They just remade it. But whatever, it's good fun. Blair Witch comes out. Oh, it's the same exact shit as before. And and I'd, I'd make a very strong argument, I think, that there is more new things going on in this film than The Force Awakens. That it does go in a, a newer, more interesting direction. It isn't just a rehash. There's there's new mm, stuff going No, on. no, there's new, new stuff in here. Uh, they build on what came before. Certainly. And the argument for The Force Awakens, in in the favour of The Force Awakens, is, well, they couldn't just go and do something new. They had to reset after the prequels. Well, have you seen Book of Shadows? <laughs> this, that is, I mean, that is, I, I, again, I listened to the commentary for the film and it confirmed my belief here that that is exactly how they approached this. They needed to reset the franchise. Because uh, they went into this film intending to relaunch the franchise and make further sequels mm. and do interesting new things in the sequels, but they felt that they had to re-establish what it was in this film. So that's why it's closely modelled on the original. I think it's a good film. I, I, I will. It's very rare for me to go against the grain so much and like the film. Normally, I'm on the other end of it, and people like it. I think it's shit, but. I really like this film, and I think it is a genuinely good film. It is about as good a sequel as we could possibly have hoped for, and I don't know what people wanted. I don't know what people who were upset with it were yeah. hoping this would be. I, I would agree with you. I think we've got very similar um, reactions to the film, but just to go beyond what you were saying, not even just critics, audiences yeah. in general didn't take to the film at all. And When I was seeing the film for the first if time... If anything, critics were nicer on it. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing it... I, w- I went, to, like I said earlier, when I went to like a, a, a view cinema, a chain cinema to see it. I was really into it, and the friend that I was with was really into it, and it was, a, it was the kind of crowd that you'd get an insidious film or paranormal activity that kind of thing like you know late teens early 20s guys and girls going together and there were just so many times when you know an obvious scare moment would happen and you'd just hear like huh come from the back of the cinema or some scoffing or something and the ending the ending was met with pure silence which was eventually broken by like sounds of 
grumbling of oh, that was a waste of time. Oh God, what the what? The well, that's weird because that? I that, I, that I had issues with it, but I think it's overall a good effort, and I really like it. I I I'm so glad this got made, frankly, and the franchise wasn't left dormant. I would think that the sort of audience, your standard horror audience, would take to this film mm. because there's a it's quite it's well made. There's a lot of good elements to it, and it's got some horror shit in it that didn't appeal to me. I would have thought that the audience would respond to that. I was surprised that it didn't get received better than it did. Like I say, I saw it in a packed cinema too. I didn't get a sense that, if anything, it felt like it was working for everyone in there, but I I don't really know. There there Mm. certainly weren't sighs and and scoffs and what have you. It felt like everyone was really tense and on edge when they were meant to be. And I'll I'll say this is one of the most tense experiences I've had in the cinema. Like, it's not Mm. it's not scary in a stays with you way. It's not got that same level of horror that yeah. the first film has. But on a pure adrenaline roller coaster ride, uh, the same way that a film like Wreck works, uh, mm. I think this works very well. And, and that's fine. You, a film can do that and be a different beast. And it, it, it is a, you know, it's a sequel. It's got to be a bit different. And it's okay if it had just been the same ambiguous thing that the first film was, then it would be a complete rehash. But this is the same thing, but then it escalates and it goes down a very definitive direction. And that's fine because the first film exists they haven't changed it i spoke about how important it was that the first film didn't show the witch this film and i'll get into this in a minute because the people who make the film claim that it isn't actually the witch that you see in this film but for all intents and purposes this film shows the witch they go into the house at the end and there is a big monster running around and you see it a few times it shows all sorts of things yes uh, that are supernatural and uh they've spoken on in interviews on Twitter and on the commentary they allude to it that apparently is not meant to be the witch and what the hell is it supposed to be? near the start of the film they talk about some story about someone being tried for witchcraft and they they take her out into the the that is the witch. The stocks. No, that's uh, that's Ellie Kedwood. That... Yeah, but the idea the is that she it? was she was killed in the woods as a witch, and no, so she's. No, I, I believe the officially the law is that the witch predates even her somehow. Oh. Um, oh well, I thought it was her anyway. So, but I thought she was the. It's something they were setting up for sequels. I think that this isn't actually meant to be the witch, and the witch is a different entity. Ah, okay, that explains it. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, it is the witch, um, regardless. In of the, the sen- in the sense of showing it, sh- showing the supernatural or not, as we've yeah. talked in the first one, it very much shows it. It's a, it's a, there's a definite line we we cross here. But I'm fine oh, with yes. that because this is a sequel, and it had to up the stakes, and it had to pick a direction and go in it. Yes. And it couldn't just give us that same ambiguous. Yeah, thing I mean, that it's the first pi- film did. So I think this it's is fine. what this is what I'm saying. I think it, it's it's picked a direction, and I don't like that direction. Fair yeah. enough. But having said that, what it does, I think it does pretty well. I, I, we should add that uh, in between the second film and this film, actually, the directors tried to get a third film off the ground, which was going to be a oh. prequel set in old um, witchcrafty witch hunting days and it was going to be the um, origin st- a, com- a conventionally shot film and just an origin story oh and it's been likened to that film the witch that came out a couple i of was years going ago. to ask if either of you had seen that i saw it very recently yeah, it was meant to be very similar to that i believe tonally ah but have either of you seen it the witch yeah what do you, what do you think <laughs> tonally nice atmosphere didn't really do it for me uh overall. it terrified me but i thought it was very boring 
Yeah, it, I, it ha- like I say, I like the atmosphere and I, I like what it was trying to do, but I, I just didn't think much of it as a film, as a story. or and, and then at the end, it just got silly in a way that completely ruined itself. But anyway, mm. uh, so they were trying to get the franchise going for a while. and um, mm. Yeah, so I mean, this film, it's a flimsy reason, really, for them going into the woods and filming again. But it's good enough and it works and I love that there's a, a selection of cameras. I love that you've suddenly got all these different toys taken into the woods. That makes it mm. a, a different beast to the first one. You've got the, uh, the 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 things they wear on their ears that are filming, basically a POV at all times. I love the inclusion of the drone. That that was such a nice way to give the film a little bit of uh, cinematic energy. Mm. And when it goes up into the sky and you see how remote they are, they're just surrounded Mm. by woodland. That's a really important moment in the film, I think, just to really sell that. Because you never get that in the first film. In the first Mm. film, it always feels like actors are stood a few hundred meters away from the path of the, the... And there's probably cars going by. And I think they were. I think in, you know, when they filmed it, there were just people walking past nearby, walking their dogs and stuff. And this really subverts that and really gives you a sense of, no, these guys are in deep, deep woodlands. And I do Mm. wish they'd done more with the drone because they set it up like it was going to be a bigger part of the film. But I'm glad it's there. Yeah, so this film is, like Alan said, it's much more of a a Hollywood production in that it's got real actors, real writing, it's scripted, you can tell, but again, that's fine, because I I didn't want another conceptual bit of found footage. I wanted this to be more of a story than the first one was. I needed it to be, for it to work and exist, it needed to be more of a a quote-unquote real film, I guess. Mm. And, And I think they do it very well. Yeah, I I completely agree. It's one of those things, I had a similar reaction to Scream 4, I think, in that I really loved it and appreciated it and was very happy for them to revisit a film that I really love, or a series that I really love. On the other hand, I'm very happy that it didn't do that well and there will be no more, Mm. because if they were (laughs) to make more... It would not that seeing the witch, as far as I'm concerned, seeing the witch and um, Blair Witch spoiled the first one for me. But I just don't know how far down you go mm. down the line before you do end up like paranormal activity, and it's all very silly, and no one really cares anymore. Talking about seeing the witch, um, are you familiar with the? I believe it was McFarlane Toys, you know, who make all the yes. Action are you familiar with their Blair Witch action figure? They <laughs> made two. Did they? I believe so. Yeah, they made one which was sort of like a weird um, and corpse thing? figure. Oh, okay. Um, let me see. And then there was one which was more of a traditional, like, cloaked figure. I remember seeing it before I'd even seen the Blair Witch Project, and it's this sort of tree monster witch thing with, yeah. a, with an axe in it. It looked ludicrous, and I thought, now how does that work? Because you don't see the thing in the film, from what I understand. Yeah, I do wonder who would have designed that. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's very sad that they basically killed the franchise again. And I, to be fair, I don't think there's much more to be done with it. But I, I'd be so up mm. for seeing people try. I, you know, in, instead of just fawning over it, there are a lot of things I don't like in the film. So yeah, I don't like the, the... There's a subplot where one of the characters, very early on, cuts her foot open in the stream. Oh, yes! Yeah. And it's this running thing where she, she seems to be infected with some sort of evil, almost, that seems... Well, I thought it, she was going to transform or shapeshift or something. Yeah, I or... thought... 
when I was first watching it, that she was gonna become possessed by the witch and turn evil and be mm. almost zombie-like or something, and it, it never, they never really do anything with it. She, she, her left foot gets quite infected, and there's pus, and they pull some crap out of there at one point, but mm. it, it never really, do, like, it never really goes anywhere. It's just yeah. I also like the um the characters that they meet up with. Like not the group of friends, Lane and the girl. Mm. I I wanted more there. Like mm. Lane comes into it at the end. Like when they come back and they're like, "Holy shit!" You oh, I love when they come days. back though. I love that scene where yeah they come back and they're like, "It's been five days. What are you talking about?" I I really like the this film. I mean, this film pretty much canonizes the idea that they're in some weird time warp in the woods and you get trapped in time. But I but I love I love the time warp stuff when it's subtle for the first half of the third film. So yeah. they mm-hmm. wake up and someone goes, "What time's your watch showing?" It says here it's two p.m. How did we? Sl- you know, we've just woken up. How does that work? And that's just a nice little moment where it's like, "What the fuck?" And then these guys show up and they're they're acting really weird and they're talking about being stuck in the wood for five days and eternal well, the darkness. The sun hasn't and, come up. And yeah, like and again, I love that. That's really cool because you because it's freaky and you're like, "Where's this going? What's going to happen?" Mm. And then it it doesn't quite. Then later on, they go into the house and you see like night and day coming and going really quickly outside and things like that and it, it cements it a bit too much for me to really um like it <laughs> it, it just is a bit too much and then ultimately that we we get the sort of the they're in a time paradox it's their footage that drew them yeah. to the area in the first place mm. and so it does it is sort of crucial to the plot yeah. did we did you think that um heather was actually going to reappear at any point um i was really hoping yeah i thought that was yeah, the obvious thing to do was to have the kind of Surprise! It's the her from the first film, and I'm sad yeah. that she didn't. Yeah, because I mean, I, it's the kind of thing where you probably wouldn't hear about it before you went in to see the film anyway. Because I mean, she's not a huge movie star or anything. No, so, she um... she's um she's largely quit acting from what I can gather. Although she did pop oh. up in a an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in a small role hmm. a few years ago. But yeah, as far as I know, she basically did the Blair Witch Project. That killed her career because uh, I think she said something along the lines of it's hard to get booked for roles when people think you're dead. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would have... Would I have liked to see her, actually? I don't know. Um, I would have. I, I, think it, I think it would have been a really nice little thing. Yeah. The, if you're going to do that time warp thing... The idea that she's just been stuck in the woods for like 10 years is actually, I think, quite a nice way to go Mm. with it. Particularly as this film, and as much as I'm not sure I like quite how overt the time warp stuff gets near the end, I do think the idea of being lost in permanent nighttime is quite unsettling. And this does quite a good Mm. job with it in the last act of conveying that sense of hopelessness. You're just, you're stuck in a permanent nighttime. There's no way out. I love that they find the old house, and I love that it's such a fucking brilliant bit of art direction and production design. It's such a faithful Mm -hmm. recreation slash adaptation of the house as it was when we first saw it, but it's so atmospheric. It's so... It's such a labyrinth when they go inside. It's it's designed in a way specifically to, like, disorient you as a viewer with loads of false corridors and corners and things, and you really do Mm. get a sense of completely losing where you are when they go in there and not knowing Mm. how big it is 
and things like that. It, it was nightmarish. It's really effective. And and this leads into the tunnel sequence because they Ooh, she yes. she gets stuck in a, a tunnel system next to the house and essentially it's just her crawling our lead uh, crawling through these underground tunnels but that is the film shifts gear into a whole new kind of horror for a bit here this is suddenly mm. this horrible claustrophobic sequence the, the tunnel is only just big enough for, like apparently they built it to be just big enough for that actor's shoulders and mm. there's a point where she's crawling and she gets stuck and can't move and it is absolutely even like with everything else going on the idea of just being stuck underground not being able to move and that's like it you can't get out Mm. is terrifying yeah yeah it's just a nice new flavor of horror that's injected in that doesn't really it's interesting that you 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 go there yeah because my my reading of that was like why are we doing this and the fact that she ends up basically just crawls out and gets back into the basement again it's like you could literally cut that segment out it felt like it was filmed in such a way that if they went got into the edit and go actually that doesn't work we can take it Mm. out and it so it felt kind of pointless to me and a little bit boring um and it wasn't scary and it was a complete yeah like you said it was a totally different feel but i didn't see that as a good thing it just sort of felt like i was stalling what's happened to that guy who was in the attic doesn't matter let's watch this girl in the tunnel it felt like a real stop point for me um so interesting that you like that yeah i I just think that that whole from that point on it the film is just it's just her being chased and it's just chaos and it's just what what uh obstacles are going to be in her way with regards to running away and and so she gets out and then she goes back upstairs and she meets with james um he's just been hanging out well i've heard i've heard theories that um that isn't actually him and that's some kind of trick from the witch to get lisa the girl to um turn around and look at her because apparently the witch you know at the very end it is yeah that's a whole thing that's thrown in at the last minute that she doesn't if she doesn't look at the witch but not witch apparently the the long spidery Mm human chasing her like just at the end she sort of decides if she doesn't look at it then it can't hurt her or something it's this weird thing they throw in at the very end yeah i don't really know i mean i i I didn't care for for it I don't know, because then it's sort of like, well, are you terrified? Well, that, to well death, that's it. The or second, is it like a hypnotic something? Like what? That's is it. it. The second you know that you just don't need to look at it, it pretty much loses all of its power. There's not much. Yeah, of it's a, a bit like. I think that number one, they needed to set it up a bit better in the film. Yeah. Number two, it it, it kind of works better if you do go with the idea that that isn't the Blair Witch and it's some sort of minion or offshoot, because then there is a real sense of danger from this other thing, but this particular Mm. thing isn't as much of a threat anymore. Again, the idea that that isn't the Blair Witch is kind of really badly handled, because they they complain about it on the commentary. They they say, like, well, as we learned, uh, if you call your film Blair Witch and then show a thing, everyone's going to think it's the Blair Witch. And it's like, yeah, what, what did you think was yeah. gonna happen what did you <laughs> yeah I... <laughs> like there's not much but then no one would go to see a film called ellie kemper or whatever it was ellie kemper's the um, unbreakable kimmy schmidt oh who's the one in blair witch then ellie ellie kedward ellie, ellie kedward, ellie kedward okay. or something <laughs> yeah it wasn't ellie kemper uh. so the third film was not only panned uh but it was also a financial flop failure well 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it, it made, it, it made twice it its budget. made back. five times its budget. Yeah, it was. It cost five million to make and made forty-five million apparently. But it it cost twenty million in marketing as well apparently. So, but it still turned the profit. But they were expecting a much bigger profit. As a five million dollar film, I think that's a nice piece of work. Like, like in terms of yeah, getting no, what you paid for. And, and and I must say, this is something that winds me up as well. One of the big criticisms I've seen again and again on the internet, people posting comments and stuff, is complaining that they took a little tiny low budget film and turned it into this big money big budget Hollywood soulless thing and it's like are you fucking kidding it was made on five million dollars that's probably all things considered not a million miles away from the original film it's just they're working with union crew and actors that they have to pay proper rates like that's not a lot of money at all and for a film with special effects the amount of people I've seen complaining about CGI in the film there isn't any other than some digital Mm. removal of uh, bits of scaffolding or what have you other than that sort of thing there's the monster at the end is practically done it's a a mixture oh really yeah yeah I believe it's a mixture of costume and puppetry because when you when you put all the crew and the actors together and say they're going to be in the woods for however many weeks and you've got your production trailers and things that you know production video village and stuff basically if you're doing this properly instead of scraping it together on nothing that's probably going to cost about 5 million like you're not going to have but there's not going to be much leeway to to do so that annoys me anyway i, I think people should appreciate that this is a really really low budget film Mm. But no, I do. I do find it odd that there wasn't more interest in this. One thing is that I think a lot of people didn't realize it was a sequel. I think a lot of people thought it was a remake because mm. I, I spoke to someone when it was coming out who had seen an ad for Blair Witch on a bus and was complaining. They went, "I can't believe they've remade Blair Witch," and they were really angry. And I was like, "Well, it's it's a sequel," and they were like, "Oh, oh, great! I might have to check it out then." But yeah. I, I guess well, you, I, uh, you call your film Blair Witch, you are kind of asking for yeah. a bit of confusion. But they've done that on purpose because mm. they don't want people to go, oh, well, I haven't seen the second one, or oh, the second one was shit. If you call it Blair Witch 3, you're going to confuse yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they probably should have called it like Blair Witch colon Resurrection. Forget the second one. Yeah. <laughs> I also took some bits from the commentary for this one, if you want to hear them. Okay. Okay. So bear in mind, uh, the film met with a very negative response from mm. everyone. And was the commentary recorded before or after it was released? Uh, very shortly after. Oh. As, you will, as you're about to hear. And um, yeah, if this were the opening weekend uh, for Blair Witch, right now you'd be watching Sully instead. <laughs> yeah, you'd be in a theatre watching Sully <laughs> and uh, maybe you'd go online and then... Uh... But if you weren't watching Sully, you might be watching this over Bridget Jones and Snowden, but just barely. Uh, soundly <laughs> defeated at the box office. I was like, oh, I'm so sad. We're number two at the box office and then <laughs> she'd throw things at me. And, uh... No, I, but, but see, I actually really was like sad. Um, because uh, because our movie was uh, kind of critically panned and got a D plus cinema score oh. and um, and people are uh, still tweeting uh, mean things at us. So we're in other words in the perfect headspace to do this commentary track. I did a bunch of things that I thought um, people would pick up on, but they didn't, and instead they hated me. What we discovered is that people who didn't like the first film had no interest in seeing our film, and people who did like the first film were outraged that we'd made uh, any changes. Not only the the found footage movie, you know, or the, I guess like the brand that you know kind of started it all, um, or the series that started it all. I don't want to call it a brand. Um, 
Well, we definitely kept it from being a brand. Uh, with the, um, uh, yeah, we torpedoed the franchise that only really existed when we made this film. Yeah, so. uh, no, but it, like you know what? Yeah, you know, I, I think that this is the the last film where I can do a bunch of jump scares. Though I've kind of kind of well, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't think anyone will let us anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think there's actually like a law has been passed. Oh, well, you know, I keep. You know, it, it, there's a kind of wonderful primal human fear to your technology not working and being lost and hungry in the woods. Um, that you know the first film captured beautifully, and of course our film uh, subsequently ruined. Uh, and we <laughs> foolishly know, I, said in an interview that we'd give people four hundred dollars if they can find it. Now that the films come out, we obviously know that we can't afford that anymore. You know what? But um, you know, it, it, to me, it was just that we were kind of uh, doing kind of fun things with those ideas. But um, you know, some people. We we thought we were. Um, well, you know, here here's the sad <laughs> thing people. is the fact that we're not going to make any sequels to this, so you'll never know what is actually going on in this movie because we're never going to make a sequel to explain any of this shit. Yeah, I'm explaining it about <laughs> as much as I ever will right now, and, and I think that's more fun, anyways. You know, I mean, like, and you know what? You're not going to get an explanation for these lights Absolutely because you no didn't come to see this movie opening weekend, and so now you're just going to have to fucking wonder what is going on out there. Nope, no, no sequels. No answers. From no sequels. No answers. So yeah, I mean, we thought it was cool to kind now, of make it so Now you can't you'll never see Blair Witch Four where, where we show the toilet in the house, which mm -hmm. was the only thing that you haven't seen. Which yet. was going to be terrifying. You um, know, like Russell Park's <laughs> toilet. Yeah, that is, was that was a really that was going to be a really big set piece. But when you make a movie in a vacuum, like we couldn't really test stuff like that. Hmm. We couldn't really be like, oh, you know, at what point do audiences start booing? Uh, do they wait till our names are on screen as per usual, or do they boo a little earlier? In which case, maybe we need to trim this shot. And uh, you know, and no one laughs anyway, so it doesn't matter. But I do want to say this: because audiences didn't go see this film in theaters, uh, Peter will be in that house forever, standing in that corner. That's right. Because he uh, he never escapes now. Um, yeah, doesn't die, gets hit by a tree, ends up standing in the corner, still there. Um, do, do we have anything else we want to say, or do we just want to kind of uh, so, just be kind of quiet sobbing for the SC's credits? Uh, you know, I mean... Um, you know, and, and, and I should say, I mean, if you're still listening to us speaking at this point, um, you know, obviously, then you're probably a fan of the film, and uh, and so thank you, you know, for, for listening to us, and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, and, and we're sorry. We're sorry that you won't be able to, you know, <gasps> see any more sequels to this film, because yep, you may be a fan, but you probably didn't show up on opening weekend, and, uh, and we're still bitter about that. We're still, <laughs> we're still angry about that. We made everyone's second least favorite Blair Witch film. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> so, um, I saw it. <laughs> so there you go, oh. a, a mixture of... Uh, <laughs> Anger and disappointment from the uh, writer and director of the third film. There, I, I, I think more audio commentaries should be this uh, warts and all. I think uh, more people would listen to them. I do think it's a shame. I, I think if they had it from the from the sounds of it, they had ideas of where to go with it, and then on the commentary they talk mm. about how the third film needed to be this kind of franchise reset. You know, let's get us back to where it started, sow some seeds, and then in future ones we can start getting experimental and, and trying new stuff out and, and being a bit more mm. interesting. So I do think it's a shame that that won't be happening now. Do, mm. I mean, do you think we'll ever get a fourth one? No. Give it, give it 10 years? 15 years? No, I think that's kind of it. No. I think we'll probably get a re... Ah, no, actually, no, I don't even know if we'll get a reboot. I think that's it. I think this is it for Blair Witch. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens, but it won't be for a while. It strikes me as something that might work as a TV series, like a Netflix thing or something yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe. Um, 
if you can make that work hmm. structure of it. Yeah, I was going to say I I could see it going back to being ultra low budget and straight to video even or similar. Netflix would work for that kind of thing. I'd like it to. I'd like there to be more of more of them, but there doesn't need to be. I I, I feel more satisfied now. We've had the the third one. That that feels like a more. It's certainly a high note compared to the second one to go out on. So. Mm. Redeemed it a bit. There we go. Well, should we get some pictures then? Yeah, probably. I'll say that with a bit more enthusiasm. Sorry. <laughs> well, should we get some pictures then? <laughs> shall I? Shall I go first? Shall I kick us? Yeah, off? go on then. All right. Um, so as I've alluded to throughout this recording, that like if I were to make a sequel to this film, I, I would approach it as a conventional documentary. I would get narrator, interview, talking heads. Uh, lean heavily on all that, maybe delve into the witch's history a bit more. But I think the mm. best way to make that work would be to intercut it with some more found footage of some more uh, characters, maybe the same characters if you can extend their story from one of the other films, but maybe just new characters. Yeah, just just basically expand on the mythology, but in a slightly new format. Basically like the last broadcast, for anyone who's seen that. Mm. And you, you can dig really deep into the kind of old witch trial days and dig into that. You can have presenters looking through archives, old books, finding scary illustrations and old accounts. You can have reenactment footage of that stuff. That'd be good. You do the reenactments with like really shitty actors and it's like obviously really cheaply shot. Yeah. <laughs> like you're doing those documentaries yeah. I like that um, <laughs> but like basically you've got an opportunity for just set piece after set piece, little scary set pieces that build the world and if you want you can hmm. weave more of a coherent narrative with some found footage mixed in but it's I don't even know if it's necessary to do I think like yeah if you wanted a, a full blown plot you, then you do have a presenter of the documentary going through the archives and stuff and in the last third of the film they mount their own expedition into the woods using a proper camera crew you know it, it's more Blair Witch but with a, a professional film crew basically and mm. I, I think that would give you a slightly different dynamic so that's my broad idea but I wasn't really happy with that because I haven't really fleshed it out properly so I've got about 20 other ideas here if you want <laughs> <laughs> go on then right <laughs> Uh, every Blair Witch Way But Lose. Uh, Clint Eastwood and friends go into the woods and get attacked by a magic gorilla. We've been having complaints recently about comedy pictures. Uh, the Gordon Brown Witch Project. <laughs> some, some former... <laughs> Some former PMs like go on one. an expedition into the woods to find Theresa May's lost party majority. It's gone missing. <laughs> uh, Blair Witch Perfect. Some people enter a singing competition in the woods. <laughs> Sabrina the Teenage Blair Witch. It's a prequel. <laughs> uh, that Le- could work, actually. Lilo and Blair Witch. Lilo no. goes into the woods and adopts a Blair Witch, believing it to be a stray dog. Mm. Lilo and Blair Witch 2. <laughs> Blair Witch has a glitch. That's the sequel. <laughs> the Blair Witch Hiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's Blair Witch in <laughs> space. Hey. Blair Ritchie Witch. The Blair Witch inherits a vast <laughs> fortune. Uh, and it's a fish out of water <laughs> comedy with them trying to fit into contemporary society. Um, Quite like that. <laughs> r- race to Blair Witch Mountain. That's just like wacky racist found footage. <laughs> the Seven Year Blair Witch, that's another prequel. <laughs> and uh, 
Ramsay's Blair witch in nightmares, and that is Gordon Ramsay goes into the woods to sort out the witch's <laughs> shitty house because apparently it's a restaurant, but it doesn't get very much custom anymore. Um, just a few regulars, and uh, so so he has to turn it around for the witch. Okay, <laughs> well, um, if I can go next because. My pitch actually is a slightly more detailed version of something Sol just said. Not one of his comedy pitches, but something something he said in oh, his what, pitch. What about proper pitch? Which my was proper pitch. which was basically my my idea was go bigger with it mm. and and get a full like TV crew in the yeah. forest. I think that'd and be so, interesting. I, I do. I think uh, you get a good dynamic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just it just it just changed the tone enough. You'd, you'd be able to make it a little bit bigger, do a few yeah. different things, but it'd still have the same kind of idea behind it, and and some older uh, people as well, because we yeah, we've only had awesome. like teenagers and young twenty somethings so far. Mm. So you know, it'd be nice to have an adult in there for a change, see if they behave differently. Mm. So yeah, yeah. My, so mine would be like essentially a, se- a direct sequel to the Blair, to, to Blair Witch, uh, in which, you know, new murders or at least new people going missing. And so it's re- reignites the interest. And so a TV, go, TV crew goes down there like America's spookiest mysteries or whatever. Um, and they go there. And so you, you, you've got some good sort of colourful characters there. You've got a load of techies, like hammering cameras and stuff around, um, like a producer. The presenter of the show would be a bit more colourful, a bit more personality. And then you have, like, within the, within the scope of the show, they have, like, a team of paranormal investigators who are, like, doing little science experiments and things like that. And then you could have one, the person who's, like, the the spiritualist or whatever, who gets in touch with the world of spirits to uh, mm. to communicate with. And you could have all these elements, and you could have, like, conflict between them. Like, mm. the paranormal investigators don't like the spiritualist because mm. he's, he's bullshit and they're real. And all that. And mm. I think that would create a lot of uh, interesting ideas it could use. And then you've got a bigger cast, which means you can throw some of them out as cannon fodder, like, quite early on and have things happen. I haven't really got a great, like, sort of solid plot here because I think you just sort of get into that whole sp- spooky shenanigans in the forest forest sort of thing that's it's fine have all... you got 10 pun yeah. title ideas to offset that <laughs> no, no, no. but i, I <laughs> oh uh, here's one thing i do think you need we need to see uh, uh, in the sequel night vision yeah uh, night vision cameras you could you could have oh. some right fun with that mm. uh, you could yeah. same principle but you, you just you get a slightly different feel to it i did think it might be nice if there were survivors at the end Mm. Um, yeah, uh, and maybe like a, a proper confrontation between them and the witch, or them and whatever it is. We we seem to establish at the end of the film that you you can't look directly at this thing, but you can look at it through a camera or through a mirror, perhaps. Um, yeah. So I like that this this sort of 18th century witch who's confounded by modern technology and doesn't really understand <laughs> it, and then sort of can't understand that people are seeing her when they're not looking at her, and then you can she use can that against through her. time. She can't. <laughs> understand if she can travel through time then surely she'd know about all this stuff she can travel through time but she's still just in a woods maybe she's from like an interdimensional void uh, well we can tie into it did did it, did either of uh. you question if the witch was meant to be an alien at any point in the third one because that was a theory that was making well, around some of the lights that... happen out it, I did, it, it, it popped else. into my mind when the lights first happened i did think like 
well, that's a bit extraterrestrial, and oh, it does look like an alien. Is that what they're trying to do? I guess that makes as much sense as anything. Like, I, I didn't, I didn't exactly think that, but when I was thinking of pictures, I did think, oh, uh, you know, Blair Witch in space. Oh, it could, it could be aliens. Like that could explain spooky goings on. So yeah, my, I mean, my idea there was a bit of a sort of a <gasps> development of yours. Really, oh, I just, of. I've just thought um, of a new one. Oh, Paul Blart Witchcop. No. <laughs> That doesn't even make sense. <laughs> <laughs> shall I? Shall I do my pitch next? It would be to um, to go back and do a prequel film based on Rustin Parr, oh. the um, mm-hmm. the child murderer in the forties. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be I, okay. If I, so not I, the I witch my, stuff. In, the the murderer man. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. You know what? Well, because if that ties into it, which the implication is, it does. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so uh, my my pitch would be to have con- it not be necess- conventionally shot. Yes, it's, it'd be a conventionally shot film, and it'd sh- begin with Rustin Parr being arrested for the murder of all these kids that he apparently killed. You, you you might be able to get away with doing some bizarre newsreel attempt <laughs> at found footage. They they made that film Frankenstein's Army, which is like World War Two found footage, even though they have to like invent a whole backstory with secret oh, really? camera technology. <laughs> yeah. <it's> just... <laughs> oh no! Well, my film would be um, apparently he murdered like he murdered like. Um... Eight kids or seven kids or mm. something like that. So uh, yeah, it'd start with him being arrested, and um, the film would really focus on his lawyer and um, her sort of investigation into the crimes and that. And she'd be going around in the woods, and okay. spooky things would be happening, and hearing Rustin Parr's accounts of this crazy witch lady. And um, yeah, you know, there've there already been books written about Rustin well, Parr. There's... And- there's two video games about. Oh, maybe it's the video Blair game that I'm thinking of. I yeah. think Rustin Parr and I, I. What kind of games are they? Like role playing um, sort of stuff. I'm not or... sure. They, they were they were on the PC back in the day, and hmm. I, I was remembering uh, Rustin Parr killed like seven kids. But then in Blair Witch, the, one of the characters says, "Oh, he, he he took out eight. He took eight kids into the forest and killed seven of them." Yes, implying that one survived. Yes. Which I couldn't remember from the first one if that was part of the actual story or not, if they changed that. And I thought that's going to come back into play later. And that's why I sort of thought, well, Lane was trying to, like, killing the others to stay alive, so to speak, or mm. helping. Uh, because he's like, okay, one person has to survive, it's going to be me. But yeah, like, there were a few, few things that didn't quite pay off. And, and perhaps that is because they were thinking towards a sequel, but... Man. You know what? Having having this conversation, I am really sad there's not going to be another one for the foreseeable future, maybe ever, because I, I would like to see a film with a, a proper film crew going into the woods, or a prequel about Rustin Parr, or a prequel about The Witch, or... Hmm. I, I would enjoy all of that. I'd like to have more of this stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think it says a lot that we've managed to talk about it for so long, uh, when it's really only three films, but we each sort of, you know, different interpretations. Now, as promised, here's the interview I did with Ed Sanchez who co-directed The Blair Witch Project with Dan Myrick. Other than that, he's probably best known for his segment in VHS 2, which is certainly my favourite segment in the film. I I thought it was the most fun of the lot, really. And uh, Exists, which he did a few years ago, which is one of the best Bigfoot films out there, to be honest. He's focusing on TV these days, as he he says in the interview. So you may have seen his work on Supernatural or From Dust Till Dawn, the series. Without further ado, I give you the interview. Hello. Hello. 
So, yeah, just to get started, I don't want to dwell on the Blair Witch Project too much, as I'm, I'm sure you're probably sick of questions about it at this point. Yeah, you know, I, I'll never get sick of answering Blair Witch questions. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> so first up, my co-host Alan wanted me to ask you to what extent you planned the film out in advance, or... Like, was it very heavily scripted, or did you just have a good idea of the the tone and general vibe you wanted to create? Then you kind of assembled the film in the edit from from all the footage that came in. I, I, I suppose he, he wants to know was, was it a film that was almost created after the fact? No, I mean it was it was a kind of a combination. I mean there was definitely yeah. you know there was there was definitely a, there was a script. You know the script just had no dialogue. The adventures of these. You know these people in the woods, and um, and we had no ending. Like we knew that they were going to end up in a house, but we didn't know how you know how that gonna was going to unravel. We we kind of um, w- went in with you know with the idea that they were going to that the actors were going to improvise everything, and we came up with a system of you know giving them notes. Um, you know as as we tried to con- we cut contact as much as possible with the actors while they were in the woods, and they they spent they were you know twenty four seven they were in the woods. So, so it was um, imperative for us to, that it was realistic. So we never thought that we were going to write out the dialogue. So, um, so while the the film, you know, definitely follows a story that Dan and I, you know, came up with these beats. You know, the actors filled in everything else. You know, and and then and they they obviously added their own little beats that we, you know, never expected. Like the map, you know, throwing the map in the in the creek was a total surprise for us, which is you know brilliant. Oh right. Yeah, brilliant <laughs> part of Mike and the you know and then Heather and. Josh to react, you know, we, you know, we, we try to keep it as real as possible. And we just thought, you know, we got to kind of leave them, you know, let them do their thing. And then in the edit is when Dan and I really, you know, kind of tightened the screws on the story and like cut stuff out that wasn't working and, you know, and changed, you know, really built the the story and built the, a lot of the tone in the edit. You know, I, I think that was yeah. really, you know, I think that the film was, was, you know, directed, um, you know, very much by remote control. Like we definitely, you know, um, gave the actors a lot of freedom and just kind of, you know, uh, guided them through this world that we created. But I think the film was, you know, really directed in the editing room. Yeah. Yeah. Because we had so much footage. We had, you know, like 20 hours of footage. So (laughs) we could tweak, you know, little things that most films, you know, couldn't tweak. So, um, you know, we had a lot of, we had a lot of opportunities to, to, to kind of, uh, to, to guide us through the journey. And and were you watching the footage as it was coming back and sort of using that to, influence how you guided the actors or no, no not at all i mean we, we uh we that was the plan there's no way we're gonna be able to sit down and watch you know four hours of footage every day you know in a, yeah. in a, you know while, while your actors are out in the field you know 24 hours a day yeah. so you know there was 24 hour day management you know it wasn't like you had it yeah. off you know everybody was kind of on duty and when you would finish one thing you would just go to do the next thing and then you would go to sleep and then you'd wake up and you know start all over again so I mean, it, it comes across, it really feels like the actors were genuinely scared at times. Part of it was the fact that, you know, they were in the middle of the woods and they were exhausted and, you know, it's and hungry and, you know, it gets, you know, you've been sleeping in the woods for three or four days and you're, you know, I, that, that's definitely, I think, played a part. But I think the actors, you know, all three of them definitely played up and, and played the part. And, you know, it was it was really a brilliant kind of, um, you know, mixture of acting and just kind of being completely natural, you know. And, and, and you know, and we, we cast them, you know, we knew we were, 
you know, we knew it was going to ch- be a challenge and we spent a lot of time casting, you know, to find the right people. So this is going to be quite a nerdy question, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, I've read on a few sort of unverified places online that you and Dan both watched the BBC special Ghost Watch and that that influenced the film in some way, but I can't find any legitimate source for that. So I was wondering if you can, is that true or is it completely? No, no. I mean, I, at least for me, I, I, never, I didn't see Ghost Watch until much later when somebody brought it up, brought it to our attention. I, I'm not sure if, if Ghost Watch was ever shown in the States. Yeah, um, I, I don't think it was. No. And this was, you know, this was before the day of DVDs and, you know, obviously mm. online stuff. I mean, VHS, you know, if somebody happened to, to, videotape it on off the air and you know send a vhs maybe but no there was you know we shot the movie in 97 so you know that kind of stuff was very limited you know yeah i I at least didn't watch it till later but dan i think watched a lot more i guess you know pbs here has a lot of uh, british stuff uh and it might have been shown on pbs i don't know but um he might have seen it but i don't know we've never discussed ghost watch i mean for us the big influence for the our the movie was really the show in search of yeah, oh, like, right, yeah. Is, is that the show with Leonard Nimoy? Am I, am I yeah, yeah. Right? Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were like, can we make, you know, a feature length in search of, basically, on, you know, these three people disappearing in the woods. That was the only thing that, you know, I mean, that was like the, the sure thing that, you know, Dan and I knew that, that's, that, first of all, scared us as kids, still creeped us out as adults. Like, even now, like, in search of... <laughs> the old search of creeps me out. It's just, you know, the way the footage looks and the music, yeah. Leonard Nimoy's voice. And <laughs> um, even though we, you know, we met the guys who like created that, they're just making crap up, you know. But even, you know, <laughs> for us, that was, you know, that was the holy grail. So that was really what we were after. But we were, I saw, you know, uh, I don't think I saw all of it, but I've watched chunks of Ghost Watching. You know, it's pretty, pretty, pretty effective show, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that aired. You know, that's like one of those crazy things. I understand that at one point you and Dan were developing uh, a follow-up of your own to the Blair Witch Project, a, a sort of prequel. What can you tell me about that? Well, you know, it was we've we've developed a lot of a, a few different Blair Witch sequels. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's you know, obviously going into you know making the Blair Witch Project, you know, we, we developed all this mythology. And as we were developing, you know, we were always like, wow, it'd be cool to do, you know, a Rustin Parr movie, you know, make do it in the <laughs> 1940s and shoot it in black and white. And that one really never, it, it was nothing more than just kind of an idea, you know. But yeah. the, we definitely did um, develop a prequel idea. We pitched it to Lionsgate. Um, well, yeah, we pitched it originally to Artisan and then it as, you know, as the sequel, but we told, you know, as a sequel to Blair Witch Project, but we told them, you know, we don't want to do this for another year or so. We wanted the Blair, because, you know, everybody built us up yeah. and tore us down. It was, you know, that was great. Uh, you know, that's just what happened. So there was a lot of Blair Witch hate at the time. And I was, you know, Dan and the rest of the guys that, you know, I worked with were, we were like, let's just, let's just let this to go away for at least a year and then, you know, we can come back and, and do this prequel and, you know, make this cool movie that, you know, people won't expect as a sequel and this and that. And it just didn't turn, you know, it just didn't work out that way. And then um, we pitched actually Lionsgate a few years ago. We developed a, a sequel, just a, a modern day sequel idea. We developed a script and actually they, they really liked it. The people over there really liked it, but it was, it was too expensive. It was it was not going to be like a two or three million dollar movie. It was going to be like a legitimate, right. you know, you know, at least 
you know, probably $10 million movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so that kind of went away, but, and then, uh, we, you know, we have a, we have a ton of ideas. We have ideas for, you know, some t Blair Witch TV shows. Um, but it's, you know, it, it, we, you know, we don't own it. So we're kind of at the mercy of, of yeah. Lionsgate. And obviously Blair Witch, the new film came out last year, surprising everyone. How, how involved with, uh, with that were you? You know, we were involved in, in a very limited way. I mean, we, they pitched us the idea of, you know, of Adam and, and Simon coming on to write and direct the movie. And, you know, it wasn't like they were pitching us, per, you know, for permission. I, you know, I think they had already yeah. decided, but they kind of wanted, they wanted to make sure that, especially, you know, the main guys, which is, you know, Greg and me, the main creative guys, me, Greg and Dan and Greg, you know, that we were, that we were cool with it and whatever. So, you know, and we, you know, D Greg and I had worked on VHS too with, uh, with Adam and Simon, you know, so they were our friends and we were like, man, you know, that, those, that's like the perfect pair to make a Blair Witch movie. If you're going to get anybody to do it, those are the guys to do it. So, you know, we gave them our blessing and, um, and, uh, and then they, you know, they sent us the script when it was done and we sent them some notes, but mostly just kind of, you know, nothing like structural or anything like, oh, this is stupid or whatever. Mostly just kind of things that were part of the backstory that they were getting, even though part of it is, you know, we love the idea that some stuff it, from the new film is different than the old film, like mythology wise, because I think that's, that's kind of what the whole idea is that nobody's really sure. It's just, you know, humans trying to deal with this supernatural thing. So I think that stories can change and especially the history can change and the rules can change. You know, there are no rules. Mm. And then um, we didn't hear from them until they, uh, you know, they showed us the film right before they were um, going to uh, announce it at Comic-Con. You know, it was, a, it was a weird experience seeing the movie. I mean, Adam and Simon were there, like Adam was like sitting next to me. So, you know, even if I, even if I had hated the movie, I couldn't have been like, ah, I'm like, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think it's a great ride, you know, and I, and I really enjoyed it. Mm. Not, not really enjoyed it. It stressed me out to the max, you know, and I think <laughs> this is a, it's a very um, effective, you know, horror film, you know, like a, like a horror ride, you know, it's, it's yeah. effective that way. And I thought they did a, a fantastic job, you know? Um, mm. So they really respected the, our film and what we had done and they try to do as right they, as they could by us, you know, and, and they definitely, uh, they definitely did, you know? And so, I mean, you, you basically certainly popularized a, a genre, the, uh, the found footage, faux found footage genre. And obviously you returned to it yourself with VHS, like you mentioned and, and exists, uh, yeah. which is a great little, um, Bigfoot movie. So Thank you. how, how is it like coming back to this genre after it kind of evolved a bit and other people had started playing around in that ballpark yeah. not happy. you know it was something that you know when we did Blair Witch I mean we, we didn't call it found footage until later but you know we called it um like POV like you know first person cinema and we were like man you could do all kinds of movies like this you could do you know for me like the found footage thing is uh, a misnomer because it's not you know it doesn't have to be found footage it just has to be it has to look like it's really ha like the characters are involved in the shooting of the movie you know whether it's a documentary or whatever you know they had, they had already been doing it for comedy and like you said you know it wasn't yeah. like we had invented that technique but so, so you know so we did it we we used the technique because it was perfect for the movie it was like the story mm. kind of pushed us into you know into the way that you you know like all like all stories you know every time you read a script it's like in it, it um you know inspires you and it kind of pushes you in a way that 
to kind of visualize it in your head. And Blair Witch was like, okay, we're going to, you know, we knew how we were going to have to shoot it. We, we knew we were going to shoot it mostly on video. And we knew we had no money. We knew we had no lighting. It, we just happened to find the, the perfect way to shoot it, you know? So we always thought it was a, you know, kind of a gimmick, you know? And, and we were, we were always like, well, you could do all kinds of movies, but I don't think we can go back and do another found footage movie. Like, it's mm. just not, you know, like we didn't want to be known as the found footage guys. Like we, right. you know, we wanted to make, you know, conventional films. So going back to it with VHS two, you know, it was many years later, it was like 13 or 14 years later. And we, you know, we loved the first film and we were just, just ecstatic, ecstatic that, that they had, um, you know, that Brad and the, and the, the other guys had, uh, you know, wanted us involved. I mean, honestly, you know, we better not make the, like the sucky film in the anthology. You know what I mean? Because, you know, we felt like there was all these kind of younger filmmakers and they were kind of giving us like a, you know, not like an honorary place in the movie, you know, and we we're like, well, we're, you know, we better fucking earn it. You know what I mean? But then once, once Jamie wrote the script and we gave him some notes and, you know, once I read the script, I was like, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. And this is a great, like, it's very unlike Blair Witch. It's a different tone. And, you know, we were like really digging the fact that, you know, found footage was evolving, you know what I mean? So for us, yeah. it was kind of a chance to kind of play in this thing that we had popularized. Um, and, you know, so so VHS 2 was um, was a lot of fun, you know, and it was, you know, a short, a short film. And so you have, you know, only a few days. I think there was like two weekends or something where we shot it. It was just a great, I hadn't shot a short film since film school. And it was like, it was just <laughs> Greg and I had, a, and it was the first thing that Greg and I had co-directed and, on paper, exists is very similar to the Blair Witch Project. It's um, it's a load of people going into the woods and being attacked by a cryptid or paranormal entity. But it, it it's much more bombastic and in your face. And metaphorically speaking, you show the witch throughout the film or Bigfoot. Was that something you did intentionally to try and set it apart from the Blair Witch Project and and make it its own beast? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was like. I've been wanting to make a Bigfoot movie since, you know, I saw the, you know, Patterson Gimlin film or okay. you know, so I've been wanting to make a Bigfoot movie for a long time. And, and I always felt right. that, you know, if you spent the money and you found the right, you know, artists, you could bring the Bigfoot to life in a really realistic way without having mm. to use, you know, computer graph, you know, nothing CGI, you know? Oh yeah. Like um, some of the shots in that film are brilliant. When, when you see it kind of through the bushes and you just get these yeah. quick glimpses, it's, it's yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it was, you know, so it was a combination of, so that's, that was the main goal for exist, you know? And, and like, for me, it's like, it was a little bit of the Jaws thing, you know, like the Jaws formula where, you know, you show a little bit and then you, you know, but by the end, like for me, like the reason that Jaws works is at the end of that movie, you saw the shark and it looked good. I mean, even though now it's, you know, there's a couple of shots that are a little, you know, dated or whatever, but, you know, you still believe that that shark, you know, that that shark is mm -hmm. real. And I think a lot of it was, you know, the music that John Williams wrote. And I think also, you know, Spielberg being a genius you know helps but even though the the the, the shark kind of in, in in jaws had like a it had like a personality like they like he did a really good job of kind of making this machine that you know just wanted to eat you know what i mean and yeah. uh so for for exist you know i i i wanted to i i didn't want bigfoot to be like this killing machine like for me like the 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 bigfoot if bigfoot exists for me then they're pretty passive creatures because they haven't been found you know like you gotta mm. be you got to be pretty passive to not to be able to disappear all the time, you know. Um, yeah. And I know there, you know, there've been reported cases of you know violence or whatever, but I just felt that like for that because I, I always felt that Bigfoot was 
mm. um, you know, kind of a, a, a you know, like like a, like it's a missing link. You know, it's like a it shares a lot of characteristics with humans. You know, so I felt that you know I, I, it was important for me to bring that element of Bigfoot into a movie, which I had never seen before. You know, other than Harry and the Hendersons, you know, which was <laughs> you know Bigfoot is just yeah. always just this you know just it has no you know it's just killing machine whatever or whatever. You know, I had never seen it. and also I had never seen a good Bigfoot suit. Mm. And I mean, I was like. Jesus Christ, that you know, you got to get somebody great to do the suit, but it's absolutely possible to do it. So we uh, we got great, you know, effects people, and we got the great Brian Steele to be, you know, big to play Bigfoot, and um, you know, I, and I was shocked by how good it looked, you know, by how great it looked. And then our DP John and I, you know, we came up with a good system of, you know, how to, you know, kind of keep the creature you know, hidden most of the time and just the, the makeup is so good. I was like, wow, you know, let's get, we can get right in there, man. We can get right do a close up of this thing. So, you know, that was really for me, that that's what this was about. It was kind of like the Blair Witch Project with a little budget. And also it was, it's a monster yeah. movie. It's a different movie than Blair Witch. Yeah. So, I mean, on that note then, would, if you'd had more money with uh, the Blair Witch Project, do you think you would have tried to show the, the witch, or was that very much part of what no, absolutely, absolutely, we would have shown something, for sure. You know, you never know. I mean, I, I, you know, the thing about it is that if, if we had had money, we probably wouldn't have been doing Blair Witch, you know what I mean? Of you course, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, like Dan and I... I think what we really wanted to do was a comedy, you know? So I think if somebody would have come along and said, hey, here's a million dollars, we would have been like, all right, let's do a comedy, you know? I think Blair Witch was, you know, a product of, you know, of, of its budget for sure. Mm. And also at the end, I mean, like even even in this lower budget version, like we, you know, we brainstormed so many things like, okay, are we going to, you know, should we see like a leg of, a, of you know, of Ellie Kedward's leg, like the yeah. horse lady leg, or should we see, we had all these cockamamie ideas, you know, but we would have <laughs> definitely at the end of that movie, we would have definitely done some kind of weird effect if we had had you know 25,000 bucks or 50,000 bucks just to blow on that ending but you know it just didn't work out that way and also I think that it, we I think we were we were you know it might have been something where we would have done this crazy effect and it would have been looking cool and then we would have been like hey let's just go back to the original ending you know you never know but we were that we would have definitely tried it you know for sure yeah the, the ending as it is it, it's honestly I think it's one of the scariest sequences that <laughs> has ever been put on film. And so, so yeah, I mean, we definitely were, were you know, very restrained, you know, in our ending, but, you know, a lot of it was, you know, because of budget. With Blair Witch, I mean, the, the third film, everywhere kind of reported was a bomb, even though it made a decent bit of yeah. profit, yeah, if you I mean, actually look at it against... It, it didn't, they didn't spend much money on that movie. Yeah. You know, they, they definitely put marketing money into it, but um, at the end of the day, yeah, I don't think, I don't think they lost money on Blair Witch. Yeah. I think everybody was expecting, you know, another, you know, I think everybody was expecting a bigger box office. Even even us. I mean, I was yeah. like, I, honestly, I, I think a lot of people thought it was a remake. I I spoke to someone yes. who was really angry that they yes. they'd remade the Blair Witch and didn't yes. quite realize. So and look, and I, I think that was the big mistake. You know, if you want to call it a mistake, like I definitely think that even for me, like I thought the only thing that I like top level. And I think this is something that came down from Lionsgate. So I don't know. I don't think Adam and Simon had much uh, say in it. Because, but I think the idea of, you know, the remake killed killed the yeah. Because I think that if they would have, and I think a lot of people, even people who really love it, because I, I love the movie, but I thought it definitely, I was, I was hoping that it was going to take, 
a different, you know, give us a little more, you know, because it really yeah. is a very, you know, it's, you know, it's the kind of the same argument I had with Force Awakens, you know. That, yeah, that, that's exactly uh, what we said know, on the podcast. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you you know, and even though I think, you know, I mean, look, Blair Witch Project is like, the Blair Witch is about a haunted woods. There isn't much you can do with it. I mean, I, I know you can get creative and bring different people and, you know, whatever. You can't really blame, you know, Simon and Adam for like going, you know, following a lot of the steps that we followed mm. because it's basically people going in the woods and getting lost, you know I mean? That's, yeah. You know, so, and getting fucked with by the supernatural entity. So, mm. but with Star Wars, I felt like, you know, you can go anywhere, man. You could do, you know, you, yeah. have, you have a million planets and you have different eras of, I mean, I'm saying like, you do not have to have another Death Star and all that. But anyway, that's a different thing. <laughs> but, but I felt, but you know, for obviously for Star Wars, it didn't hurt it. But I think for Blair Witch, I think people, that you know experienced it the first mm. time felt you know oh why why would you make a remake of that you know I yeah people felt like ah, i should have you know i you know, a remake would have been fine but something maybe a little more like just give me a little mm. something different in the story or whatever you know so i mean on that note do you do you think there'll be a fourth blair witch film i mean it, it, it really it's inevitable and, and, and I used to say this about when people ask me, oh, you know, they, you know, a couple of years ago, they would, the question I would always ask, they would, that same question is like, will there ever be a Blair Witch 3? And obviously, I, you know, I knew some of the, you know, they, you know, obviously I knew that the movie was being made and I couldn't answer. But even before I knew that this movie, that the movie was being made, you know, it's, 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 it's inevitable that something that some other thing, it's a, it's a really popular, it's still a very popular uh, brand. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the third one may have not done the business, but I think that whether it's us or maybe, you know, or somebody else comes to Lionsgate and says, hey, why don't we do this and we can still make it for a cheap budget, but it's a this kind of film order. I think they would go for it. And, you know, I, I think Greg and I, Greg and I are still uh, partners. I think both of us, you know, we've talked about that, about the idea of like, you know, going back either with a TV show or, you know, some mm. kind of whatever. But yeah, I mean, I, I think we all, you know, and Dan, I think Dan, you know, has always had, you know, we've always had ideas and, and kind of this um, desire to, you know, to make more Blair Witch movies. So, you know, it, it also, you know, if Dan or I get hot again, you know what I mean, as feature filmmakers, I think mm. it becomes, or, you, or you know, if, if we become hot on TV or, you know, whatever, that, that becomes more of a possibility because then we can go and say, hey, we got, you know, a little bit of a, some buzz and let's do yeah. this back into the Blair Witch thing, you know? But I think it's inevitable. I mean, you know, it's, I think it's a brand that'll keep kind of um, inspiring people. And, uh, you know, it, you know, it just, it was just, you know, it's, it's more than just the movie because even like now, like I have, a, you know, a lot of younger people who want to be filmmakers or inspired by it. So, you know, that, that's the lasting legacy is the idea that these guys from, you know, with no money and, you know, um, very few resources just came together and like in this, you know, world phenomenon that nobody expected, you know, including us, you know? So I think that's what really, I think is the lasting legacy of Blair, which is the idea. It's, it's the lasting legacy of clerks and, you know, yeah. have it and you know all these you know uh el mariachi you know all these movies that mm. kind of like you're like dude you just gotta go out and, and i tell that people i'm like you just gotta go out and do it man you're never gonna know if you have the talent or if you have the right idea until you go out and do it you know what i'm saying and don't make excuses you know mm. if uh, we uh, could do it anybody could do it yeah. <laughs> are you currently working on any any films that are in the pipeline as an indie <laughs> filmmaker i'm oh i've always got you know things in the pipeline you know it's just a matter of like finding the right partner um so you know and my you know so i'm involved in a ton of stuff some stuff very promising some stuff very very much on the back burner but mostly i'm kind of greg and i are concentrating on tv right now 
Um, right. Just uh, building up our kind of, uh, it's a whole, it's a, you know, obviously a completely different thing than film. And we've been back in, we've really been concentrating on TV for about three, three or four years now. And that's where I, and that's why I think, you know, like people ask, like you were asking me about Blair Witch. I think that, you know, for us, it really is, you know, a possibility, uh, you know, a, a realistic possibility that if we get enough heat in the TV, you know, mm. And get maybe a you know because we had our we had a show that we were going to do with stars and we were very close to we had written a you know we were oh, we right. had as close yeah you know, we had gotten as close as we had could to you know we like we were about to go and start scouting and you know getting down to it and um, they, they obviously the relations kind of fell apart you know um, once Castro died oh. once Trump was elected so it died very quickly or actually very slow um, which was very painful but so we got close there so our thing is to try to get our own show but but I think. Mm. For us, you know, it's a very natural kind of thing to to go and say, "Hey, let's do a freaking Blair Witch show," and you can save yeah. from, from the original creators, and we can bring in like all bunch of interesting directors to direct episodes. Would you see that as a kind of anthology thing with you know well, you prequel would, episodes, or would it all be? Well, kind of, we, we have stuff, an idea. I can't. I can't really discuss. Oh, of course, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think that. The, the the idea of a, of a Blair Witch anthology has always you know been uh, very you know it's just a really interesting thing. Yeah, for, you're close. You're in the ballpark. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, and I think you know it's kind of one of those things that might be you know the more you think about it, you're like that's kind of the perfect yeah TV show you know. Um, but um, so you know so we'll see what happens. But I think that's kind of the the next the next big thing I think for Blair Witch be um, you know probably TV unless. Did you hear about this Blair Witch Legacy movie? No, no. Um, what is it? It's, a, it's like a, and I haven't seen it yet, so I have no idea, you know. And the, but the guys who did it are very cool, and you know, on Facebook they got in touch, and they've been very uh, cool with us. And they, but they did a fan film, they did a feature length right. fan film, and they actually sent me the link. I just haven't had any time to to do anything lately, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out soon. But um, yeah, you know, just the idea of like of you know Blair Witch fan film because it's kind of mm. one of these things. Like you could, you know, if you did it right, you could shoot it for very little money, and then you just—that's kind of an exciting thing too for me, like the yeah. idea of the like fan films, you know. Um, but um, but who knows, man? I I just love the idea that people are still kind of in, are still inspired and you know still oh, yeah. in this world, you know. So you know, I think um, that's why I told you at the beginning. It's like I don't, I, you know, I'm never going <laughs> to talk about Blair Witch because it's like you know, it's you know, people want to talk about it, man, and, and yeah very grateful that people still want to talk about it so why the hell would i not want to talk about it you know? yeah and and yeah it's, it's a really cool idea actually just going back to the idea of a tv show the more like you say the more you think about it that's such a great idea because the, the horror film tv show seems to be quite big at the moment and yeah there's all these great shows like ash versus evil dead and hannibal yeah yeah and you have like this brand you know that yeah that people recognize immediately you know i mm. think it's uh yeah and, and did you see um, season six of American Horror Story? They kind of uh, yeah, that's took a lot of inspiration right. from you. Yeah, no, I, I haven't seen it. I, I watched a little bit of the first season of that show, and then I just I'll probably like, binge watch it one day. Um, what binge watch the shit mm. out of it? Yeah, I've I've heard of it, man. I've heard that that, uh, and I saw some of the you know previews and advertisements, and yeah, yeah it had a, kind of a cool vibe to it. But um, so yeah, man, I think that that that's that's kind of like the biggest for me. Like you know, it's, it's such a compliment for you know such mm. a 
show like that to kind of be and still be a little even a little bit inspired by you know something we did so long ago oh yeah they they had the little stick figures like almost exactly as they were in in the Blair Witch Project and everything it was was full on Uh, is there anything you want to plug? No, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing TV. Like I have a, a an episode of Lucifer coming up in uh, November. That's that's uh, finally airing that we shot earlier this year. But other than that, man, you know, I'm just uh, just trying to pay the bills, man. No, the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you know, we still gotta we still gotta wake up and work, man. So uh, it's uh, but it's everything's going well, man. I, I can't complain. Yeah, no, no, that, that's great. Well, yeah, thank thanks so much for. There we go. Thanks again to Ed for that interview. And thanks to all you listeners of the show. If you've enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, uh, then do consider it. it. You know, it's usually pretty good, you know. I know I'm biased, but I, I think it's a pretty good podcast. If, you, if you're into film podcasts and stuff, you know, go, go, go and subscribe on on the old on the old iTunes there or uh, whatever podcasting app you use if you want to get involved in the discussion with us about the Blair Witch films or indeed about any films really then come and have a chat with us we we are of course on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash diminishing returns podcast and we're on Twitter at dim returns pod and of course, do go to our website, which is, you know, where, where all the fun really happens. Dimreturns.com. That's where you'll find updates about new episodes and the like. That's where you'll find a list of every episode we've ever done and a, a page accompanying it. We, we've got our ratings for the films on there if you want to know exactly how we felt about the films quantified. But subscribe, just spread the word. Blair Witch TV series, that's pretty cool, right? Happy Halloween. See you next week. Bye.